Welcome, everybody, to episode 41 of the Plastic Posse podcast. Uh, this is the uh, streamlined diet version of the Posse tonight. We've got uh, uh, Doug uh, here in Utah with me. How you doing, Doug? I'm doing all right. How are you? Oh, man, doing awesome, as we'll talk about a little bit later. And we have the man, the myth, the legend, John Banani from Denver. How you doing, John? I'm doing well. I'm feeling lonely after having you all in my house for the last couple of days. This place is a ghost town. And uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about it on this episode. Absolutely, man. What a great, great time. And, you know, before we get rolling, I just wanted to just kind of bring something up, John. You know, it, it seems like whether we're talking about Nats or we're talking about the local show that everybody has one, you know, relatively close to them. Man, these these are opportunities to get together with friends, make new friends, and just that's what's the best thing about this hobby, don't you think? Oh, for sure. I mean, the perfect example is this past weekend. I mean, we had a core group of folks that we knew were coming out for a couple months. A couple jumped in with, uh, you know, a week to go before the show. And then even at the show itself, we met more and became really close friends. And it, it's just an awesome atmosphere. And and I I encourage everyone that, you know, when you go to a show, if you're going alone, don't worry about it. You know, maybe step out of your comfort zone, say hi to someone, strike up a conversation, you know, eat a cupcake from our table. Uh, but certainly, you know, <laughs> Get to know your fellow modelers and, and you never Fetty. know. Oh, man. Hit of the show, right? I mean, that's right. I mean, you know, we had uh, Grant Mayberry, who uh, I I was talking to, I think, Thursday. And he was just, oh, man, I'm bummed. I'm like, what's up, man? And he's like, yeah, our local uh, show that we we're going to have this weekend got canceled. I'm like, dude, come to Denver. And so he literally, like, <laughs> lined up his travel on Thursday flew out on Friday and man, we had an absolute blast having him with us and he cleaned up at the show. We'll talk about that <laughs> a little bit later on, but I, I think he would uh, tell you that he had a, a an absolute great time. It was awesome, uh, you know, hanging out with him, but you know, uh, guys out there, just take the time. If, if there's a local show, put it on your calendar and go, if there's not find one close to your buddies and, you know, find a way to travel to it because, man, there's nothing better than, uh, you know, like I said, hanging out with your friends or making new friends around these uh, modeling events. Yeah. And, and just to echo that, I would encourage everyone, if you hear an event being talked about on a show, message the show organizers. It doesn't have to be us. It could be the model geeks. It, it could be it could be Plastic Model Mojo. If you hear someone going to a show, feel free to reach out, say hi, and say, hey, we'd love to meet up because that certainly happened at Commies Fest and, and those new introductions become great friendships. And we certainly experienced that at the show. And I, and I think it's something that's, you know, great about this community. We're all very open. We're all very encouraging. And, you know, not only getting to know you, we certainly want to see your work and what you take pride in and see it on the table amongst others. So uh, bottom line is, you know, just, just, just reach out, say hi uh, if people are going to a show, and and certainly try to meet up with them. Yeah, great, great point. We had after the show, we had twelve guys jammed around <laughs> JP's table having barbecue. It was wonderful, and I don't know that. Uh, I think you're gonna have to find a new venue if you get any more people coming well, out I for that. I know, right? And this is something we talked about in the last couple of days. Whereas we might just try to rent a mansion, like an Airbnb, and split it between you know, 10 or 20 of us go straight up college and all shack up in a, in a big house and, you know, bring your stuff to work on and, and literally just do models from Friday to Sunday. So 
we definitely, I think, reached almost max capacity. We maybe could have squeezed one or two more in. Uh, certainly not modelers because we're a little bit wider than the average folk. But, uh. <laughs> yeah, we had, we had somebody tucked in every corner. I think John Everett was laying in Duncan's uh, bed for, for everybody out there. Duncan is John's dog. So, <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, and I think, uh, yeah, bottom line is it, it was great. It was great to see everybody over at my house. It, it was great to host them. Very grateful that everyone came by. You know, again, it goes back to, if you if you find someone that's going to a show, go hang out with them. We had a gentleman, you know, hadn't even planned on him coming over. And it was like, hey, you're here. Come on over. Let's go, man. Uh, he was a friend of uh, Jim Bates. Yeah, Blaine. Walked, yep. Yeah, Blaine. We hung out with him on Friday, uh, took him on some tours, and then he he stopped by on Saturday after the show. So it was just a really great time and and just another member of the posse for that matter in my mind. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, JB, why don't you lead us in a round of uh, what's everybody been up to? Oh, gosh, I feel like the it's no surprise we're all been up to Commies Fest here in Colorado. But in terms of bench time, you know, one thing I want to I want to note is I had the opportunity to fix Hendrick Stug or not Stug Sherman, for that matter. And it, it turned out really good. You know, in, in the mail, it got a little crunched, uh, but mo- mainly it was only these the suspension units and was able to fix it pretty easily. And I did that, I think midnight, 1230 before the show. So I had intended to do it before that, but you know, my uh, esteemed guests, we, we were having too much fun and couldn't call it a night. Uh, so I went upstairs and at the end of the evening, uh, tucked away up here in the model room, I was able to finish his and put it on the table Saturday. So that was great to bring someone from Germany to a local show here in the States and, and show his work in which it deserves to be shown. Well, and Hendrick, if you're out there listening, uh, the fact that John got that done, I mean, I was impressed. I mean, you're talking about night shift on the big screen TV, a bunch <laughs> of buddies, beers, Funfetti cupcakes. A lot of Coke all, Zero. A lot of Coke lot Zeros. Of <laughs> and John braved all that stuff to go upstairs and get that done and have it have it ready to go for the show. So, man, he really, really uh, sacrificed for you there. So. Anyways, no, it was well worth it. So, you know, I, I want to mention we are a little light tonight, so we don't have TJ and Ivan with us. TJ literally just landed back in D.C. I dropped him off the airport early this afternoon with Jim Bates and he just landed. So he's not joining us. Ivan is probably like five in the morning his time. So he's certainly getting some shut eye. But I just wanted to give those two a shout out, uh, a shout out. Um, but with that, you know, Doug, I'll kick it over to you. Newly award winning Doug the latest uh, champion in the plastic posse podcast. So congratulations again for that. And, and tell us, tell us what won. Well, thanks man. Um, I won. They, they had to split the sci-fi category was just sci-fi and it was massive. <laughs> it was by far the biggest category there. So it was split like five ways. Um, I won first place in the star Wars category for the a four. I built over uh, the holidays. Yeah, um, you did. Very, I'm very happy with it. I've never won an award, a solo award before. I've been in the group build that that got that award for RFM last last year at Nats. But um, yeah, I then there were some good kits in there. I was really surprised to hear my name called, um, but but pretty pleased. Well, that was a well deserved award, and there were actually I think three different A wing fighters on the table, same kit. And yours really certainly stood out from those, but uh, well deserving of that award. You you did a great job. You've really got that 
I think that Star Wars aesthetic down like few modelers do. And uh, I was really, really pleased they recognized your work. It was well-deserved. Well, what's funny is when I looked and I saw three A-wings and no Y-wings, no X-wings, uh, there was only one TIE Interceptor and it won third place. Um, I actually was wondering if maybe I made a mistake and should have brought my Y-wing or my X-wing out because <laughs> it would have at least stood out and been something different. So I'm glad I didn't. Um, it was It was a very good time. What a fun show. For sure. Yeah, the show show was worth it. There were two moments in the award ceremony that uh, John that made the uh, show for me. The first one was Doug. That grin <laughs> on his face, man, it's like a thirteen year old kid, you know that uh, you know just just uh, got to go surfing for the first time or something. You had a eight mile wide uh, grin, and then <laughs> in the juniors category, this little. I mean, he must have been, what, six, seven-year-old kid goes up to get an award, and they gave him a model ship kit. And that ship kit dwarfed this poor little kid. <laughs> he was having a hard time getting that box back over to his dad. So those are good times. Yeah, for sure. You know, Scott, let's catch up with you. You know, you guys made the trek over. What time did you leave on Thursday or Friday morning, that is? Well, I left my house at 3 a.m. and uh, Doug and I rendezvoused about 3.35 or so and and uh, headed out for Denver. And we weren't wasting any time because you were picking up Jim and, and TJ at the airport. And, man, we had a full agenda, you know, yeah. sim similar to our trip back in October. You know, you and I had about three times the event scheduled that we actually <laughs> had time for. So. Well, I, I will say, I think it's a miracle that you and Doug, TJ, Jim, and Grant, so coming from four different locations in the United States, three different aircraft, you guys going through the mountains, and there were no delays. We all showed up right around the time we thought. We rendezvoused at probably the coldest bookstore in the world, not oh, only yeah, the man. greatest, but the literally the coldest. I highly recommend you bring your Arctic gear uh, for that place. <laughs> I mean, I, the poor man working there, I think he was moving fast and hustling because he had to stay warm. Yeah, but, it was a great bookstore, though, man. I had yeah. no idea <laughs> that you could stick 100,000 books in a 4,000-square-foot facility, <laughs> but he does it. <laughs> yeah, I felt like Indiana Jones there, and you trip something, and a big, <laughs> a big ball of books is going to trap you in the mountain. So it was... Uh, it was fantastic. And then, you know, meeting up with you guys there, we we then grabbed lunch over at the Vietnamese place nearby, which was fantastic. And and then we met the last member of the posse at, at Colpar, which is Grant Mayberry. So, you know, it was, again, I, unbelievable, certainly unbelievable and so much fun to see everybody come together. And then the rest was history. And, and I'm sure we're going to talk about, you know, what the what the chain of events led to throughout the weekend. That was so much fun. Yeah, for sure. And then I also want to, you know, talk about, um, you know, my second time over now and man, the great group of modelers uh, in the Denver area. You know, we we saw Scott Hall over there. I mean, obviously, uh, Brian, Brian Krieger over there. Oh, my gosh. You know, just incredible. Steve Baker, um, John Everett, you know, BJ DeBecker. I mean, just can go on and on. And I mean, these guys, the work that that are on the tables at these uh, model shows is just it's just terrific. And I'm sure, you know, the, every other city probably has a group of these guys, but it's awesome to, you know, be able to go to these things and see the work, the quality of the work. And 
And uh, in the case of, of this show, um, you know, see a sci-fi category that really was kind of bigger than aircraft and armor and, and everything all put together. Yeah, it was pretty shocking in the diversity of sci-fi as well. You know, you had your strong Gundam contingent. Machine and Krieger was a huge category. It could have been a category itself. Actually, I think they did split it as a category itself. And then you had such a onslaught of Star Wars, as Doug mentioned. And then also I was extremely uh, pleased to see and amazed at the number of Star Trek models and the ones that were lit. I mean, with the with the rotating lights and the what do you call those the beacons the beacons yeah yeah yeah. i mean it was unbelievable and what was hilarious is they put a surge protector at the end of that table so they could all plug (laughs) in so it was again it was it was amazing and then the fantasy figures there as well i think bottom line is sci-fi fantasy is strong and well and growing and certainly i think gravitated the most attendees towards it uh throughout the show and and certainly showed the most creativity of of modelers as well but that said you know we'll, we'll probably talk later and highlight some of the other categories such as aircraft and the natural metal finishes by brian kreiner which are i mean yeah. drop dead gorgeous so. yeah he's a he's a great gentleman got to meet brian as well i've had admired his work for a long time. Um, and so it was great, great to meet him as far as, uh, other than, you know, uh, what we've been talking about. Um, I've been working on a, um, kind of tribute piece for our good friend, uh, Patrick Perales. He had 3d printed me an IG 11 droid and one twelve scale from the Mandalorian. And so I've got that all, uh, primed and put together and just, you know, gonna, figure the paintwork, finish the paintwork on that very, very quickly. And uh, so, um, you know, that's kind of what I've been working on in addition to uh, traveling out of state two of the last three weekends. So, Yeah. You're a busy man, Scott. It's good for you to get some rest. Maybe you can actually get some more building done. Yeah, that would be, uh, that would be awesome. You know, it's uh, busy, busy times, but worth every second of it, you know, getting to meet people and, you know, people that, you know, you haven't maybe necessarily known before getting a, to know them better, you know, meeting people we met at Nats for five minutes and then kind of being in their backyard has been really, really great. And man, the shows up in Seattle and, and Denver have just been just top notch and, you know, no complaints at all. So it's worth giving up a little bit of that precious bench time, I think. So, yeah. And it's interesting you point that out. You know, we spend a couple minutes with these folks at a show, we meet them once and then the next time is really when the friendship kind of blossoms where, you know, you, you have your first blind date, you kind of get to know each other. And then that next time is, is really great conversations and, and you become truly friends and you end up spending the whole show with them. And, and that was certainly the case where I, I took a picture. I think in the middle of the day, there was 10 people just lounging around. I don't know where we got the cha- chairs from, uh, but we certainly procured them and the posse table became just a hangout and we got to know some of the members the vendors close to us as well. So that was, again, it just points back to the social aspect of the hobby that we, we have come to certainly love lately. Yeah, definitely. It was fun to, you know, give, we gave away some uh, tank craft swag, some of their knife toppers, some of their mats, uh, which, uh, you know, really blew a lot of people away. We had people asking about, you know, where they could get more of them. And, and so that was fun. Some posse swag, you know, Doug was rocking the t-shirts and we were giving away pins and stickers, you know, just, ah, it's a great time. So 
you know, we'll be there at Nats. And, uh, you know, if you guys uh, out there come to Nats, make sure you come see us, meet us. We'd love to, you know, meet you, shake your hand, see your work, give you some stuff. And, man, it's just like I said, that's what the, that's what this hobby's all about is the social part. The modeling's great, but it's really uh, the people that make it really spectacular. 100%. All right, Doug. Well, uh, let's talk about uh, um, our giveaways and uh, maybe some stragglers we're dealing with. Well, I can't tell you who is straggling, but if you had your name announced on episode 37 when we announced all of our prizes for our drawings um, and you haven't contacted us yet, please do so quickly. Um, we still have a few that haven't been sent out, including Bob. Bob, I know I've got your box. Yours is ready to go. Um <laughs> But uh, but there are a few that never contacted us. So if you can get us, get us your name and address, we'll get your prize out. And uh, we'd sure love to hear from you. Yeah, send that information to Plastic Posse Podcast at gmail.com. All right. Well, let's uh, let's give a quick shout out to the Posse Outriders, shall we, guys? We have uh, we have some new Outriders that have joined the gang. So we have Matthew Johnston, John Vitkus. Thanks, John. He's uh, over here in our area. Really appreciate that. Uh, Robert Morales, Jamie Stokes, Craig Jarbo, Jared Cowell, JC Osborne, Mike Bird, Jeremy Elliott, Mike Talley, Steve Baker, Mediocre Middle-Aged Modeler, Dan Knopfel, Rick Lewis, Eric DeGleish, Brian McFeeders, Bruce the Model Noob, Eric Semmelmeyer, Matthew O'Meara, Panzerman 2010, Grant Mayberry, hey Grant, Paul Alexander Crystal, David Waples, Ethan Eidenmill, Steve Schaefer, Rick Cooper, and Jamie Adamson. Man, what a list. Thank you so much, you guys. We really appreciate your support. Uh, these guys went to patreon.com forward slash plastic posse podcast, set up a recurring donation. It doesn't have to be a ton, a dollar and up. And uh, it really helps us, man. We, we, we incur some costs to host these things and produce them and get them out to you. And it just means the world that people are are willing to support us that way. You don't have to support us, but if you do, it really helps. And we're deeply, deeply appreciative of it. So thanks a lot, Outriders. Really appreciate it. Hey, I need to talk about the 48-hour group build coming up, sponsored by the Model Officers Mess. It's uh, for Models for Heroes. That's on March 25th, 26th, and 27th. Um, so what happens is a whole bunch of people build a 48 48 scale kit in 48 hours. A lot of us will be streaming our builds live uh, off and on through the, uh, through the 48 hours and we'll be sharing as we go along. Um, we'll have a link on our website, on our Facebook page. Excuse me. Um, so come check it out. And if you feel like it, build along with us, share pictures as we go and let's see what you can do. Yeah, you can, as Doug said, you'll, you'll be able to find a link on our page also on the model officers mess page, you can find all the details there. Um, please participate. If you can't participate, please consider donating to Models for Heroes. They're a UK charity that uses model making as a uh, therapeutic uh, help for people that have experienced PTSD, military personnel, 
first responders. It's a great, great organization. Malcolm does a, gr a great job and it really makes a difference um, for people. So please, um, you know, consider doing that for us. We're going to have um, Australia, North and South America and Europe this year. Uh, and the posse will be doing, uh, hosting a few of those segments. I know our buddies over at the geeks are going to be involved in that as well. Uh, the guys from on the bench will be, uh, working the Australian shift. And of course, uh, James Skiffins will be working the uh, UK and, and Europe, um, sessions as well. So please join us. Uh, uh John, uh, have you picked your kit for that yet? Yeah, I'm, I think I'm going to go with the Federation droid tank from the Star Wars Legions game. It is 147th, so maybe, uh, you know, it's close enough to 48, and maybe I'll just try to finish in 47 hours to be totally legit. But that's <laughs> uh, that's something I think I'm going to do because they're certainly a straightforward kit. And by the way, they are super crips. If, if you haven't seen them, check them out, Star Wars Legion tanks, uh, or any other vehicle for that matter. They're absolutely gorgeous. Doug, what are you going to do? I'm going to do to me is M1A2 Abrams. Nice. Choice. Yeah, I saw I saw Doug picked up uh, the uh, colors for that while we were over there at Colpar Hobbies in Denver. So nice. that was good. Yeah, I think I'm going to do one of those Legion uh, vehicles as well. Kind of keen to do that. I've got a couple. I'm still kind of waffling which one I'm going to do, but uh, yeah, those are nice kits. And uh, yeah, I think they're 147 point something. That's pretty close. So <laughs> we'll round up, right? Yeah. Exactly. Uh, just put a little layer of putty over the top of it. It'll be 148. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, um, while we're talking about um, the 48 hour group uh, group built, also want to get take a, a minute to thank our sponsors who have all stepped up and made incredible donations for some charity auctions that will be happening during that weekend event. Um, Tankcraft, of course, uh, stepped up as always. They're giving away one of their pro modeler tank mats and one of their incredible aluminum glue bases, uh, to a lucky winner. Um, you can bid on that during, uh, the, during, uh, that weekend and, uh, all the money for these prizes will be uh, given to models for heroes. Um, we also have value gear. Our good friend Steve Munsell has donated a bunch of resin accessories. Um, that he's sending along. And so those will be up for auction. Um, the posse has thrown in a Bandai, uh, one six scale, uh, shadow trooper, a great big, uh, figure model, um, that we're going to be, uh, throwing in there as well. And our uh, friends at Tamiya USA, um, Fred metal, who you'll hear later on in this episode from our live stream has donated a 148 scale. Um, F4B Phantom and also one of their, uh, new 148 scale Nashorn armor kits as well. And so, uh, modelers will have a chance to bid on those. And again, all proceeds from these auctions do incredible work, uh, with veterans for Malcolm's organization. So anyway, we want to thank our sponsors for stepping up and supporting us in this, in this great effort. And we hope to uh, see a bunch of you on the uh, live streams building your kits. John, let's do kind of a, a wrap up. I know we've kind of talked a lot about the uh, IPMS commie show, but um, let's kind of, you know, talk about the crew that put that on and, and uh, wrap up that report. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, for those 
who are just tuning in, you know, Commies Fest is held by the IPMS Commies organization here in Denver, Colorado. Um, we are a small IPMS. I'm actually a member. It's it's a great little club. They meet at Colpar on the third Sunday of every month in the morning. They're super great people, and they held their first show in two years out at the Arapahoe County Fairgrounds. So it was a new location for them, and it was it was just really a lot of fun. You know, it was uh, it was something that I was very impressed from a sh- from a local show perspective because what they did was they had everything digital. That's from the registration at check-in all the way to judging. So I, I think they are doing something great at the local level and something that the IPMS national organization can certainly learn. And I, I definitely took notes and have people I'm going to reach out to, to learn more. So in, in terms of size, the event was around 30 vendor tables, which to be honest, for 30 vendor tables, there was a lot of quality stuff being sold. You know, I, I know we'll talk to TJ about this in the next episode, but you know, there was one vendor that had machine and Krieger and that, and he said that that made it worth his chip from DC just for that picking those up. And I, and I was fortunate enough to get a few too. And, you know, people were burning out tanks. There was literally everything and anything you could find in the vendor room, which was great. Yeah. You found a, a real treasure. You found that M50 uh, conversion set, which is just, I mean, that is a real, real uh, unicorn to find one of those. Yeah, I I can't believe it. I posted it online and, and, you know, people were like, where did you get that? You can't find it anymore. I'm like, yeah, I've only paid 10 bucks for it, too. So (laughs) I I try not to rub that in. But no, certainly there were treasures to be had and treasures to be found there. And and that was kind of half the side of the hall. On the other side was the model display area. We actually had to get some extra tables out to display more aircraft, which was great. Uh, sci-fi, I don't think you could fit another sci-fi model <laughs> on the table there. It was absolutely outstanding. Um, so major credit to the show organizers. I Again, I did not, I might be a member of the club. I just joined. I did not organize it. I did not help put it on. I simply went and enjoyed it. So major kudos to them. I hope to get more involved next year. Um, but in addition to the vendor room and the contest room, they had display, they had, sorry, they had seminars going on throughout the event as well. So there was one on airbrushing. There was some techniques on painting. There was one on resin, I believe. So there was four or five throughout the day where you could sit down, gather around a table and really learn. And it, and it was, it was a great event in a sense that, you know, the restrictions were lifted in Arapahoe County. So everyone was able to engage, enjoy themselves. And, and it was absolutely fantastic to see everyone there because it certainly exceeded their expectations. Uh, I heard over 400 models were, were entered and for a local show and for their local show, they were extremely pleased The the cast and crew there did again, I can't thank them enough, a phenomenal job. And before I turn it over to my co-host, I want to mention, too, that there was a photographer there, and I, I don't know her name off the top of my head, and we'll certainly credit her with the with the posting in the show notes. But she took photographs of everyone who won, almost every entry, I bet, if not all entries, and then casual photographs throughout the day of people engaging each other uh, around models, around vendor tables. So she posted three albums. We'll get those shared. Absolutely great feel of what the show was, who was there, what was on the table, and some of the pictures from the award ceremony are certainly humorous when we started going up there a couple times and it's like, well, let's just start striking different poses. I found one of the local club members there that was wearing a Fez hat and grabbed him and threw him in the camera with me. So we were having a good time hooting and hollering and certainly a blast through and through. What are, you, what are your thoughts, Doug? 
Oh yeah, that was a hoot. Um, John went up multiple times. TJ went up multiple times. Um, Steve Baker, uh, Grant went up there a bunch of times. We got, it was, it was fun to watch <laughs> every time you're like, and, and you'd see him like, wait, I got to get my picture taken again. Kind of a pose, you know, but, but John made sure every time was different. It was, it was really funny. Yeah. And you mentioned Steve Baker there, that man, he cleaned up both yeah. armor and aircraft. That guy is a machine and now his kids are a machine too. I know. Keeping it in the family, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so, Doug, what treasures did you find at the show? You, uh, in addition to your me- uh, your gold medal, you also uh, got some uh, kits that you bought. Well, um, the first thing I spotted and I was shocked to find was a Hazagawa A4EF Skyhawk, um, still in the plastic 48 scale for 30 bucks. Uh, but they had two of them. So I made sure Scott found out. So we both picked one of those up. I picked up a Tamiya 35th scale uh, T55. It's missing the turret machine gun. And that's it. 15 bucks. Wow. Yeah. And I got a uh, Tamiya uh, Corsair kit, the bubble canopy three bladed prop. It was 20 bucks. And uh, then Grant goes and buys. Somebody shows up late. A vendor shows up late with a, with a Bandai K2SO figure and Grant bought it for $20 and he couldn't fit it in his bag. So he handed it to me Sunday morning. So I came back with some, some really nice <laughs> stuff. Thank you so much, Grant. That was one of the coolest things. How Speaking about you, Scott? Yeah, I picked up uh, Steve Baker, the man, the myth, the legend. He, he brought me an Arma Hobbies uh, FM2 Wildcat and wow, you know, just a, an incredible a little 172nd scale aircraft kit. So I got that. I found one of the old AMT Star Wars droid tanks. It's 132nd scale. And, uh, you know, I know AMT is not the best manufacturer out there, but this thing is massive and uh, really has a lot of uh, possibilities. 10 bucks for that, you know. And then I picked up one of those uh, Bandai Mandalorian kits uh, for just 30 bucks, which, uh, you know, it's about half of what I've been seeing at other places. So, yeah, I came home with some treasures as well. Definitely uh, well worth the trip. You know, got to say in that uh, in the award ceremony, you know, it got to the point where uh, uh, the posse might have been doing a little heckling and having some fun <laughs> back there in the corner as people went up there. But, yeah, no, just a just a, a great time at all. want to echo what John said uh, to the Commies Fest um, group. And, or the commies uh, club group and you know it was a great event i'll definitely be back again for it it was worth the uh the eight hour drive and i know arapaho county fairgrounds maybe doesn't sound like a great venue but it really was a terrific venue the building was clean and comfortable there was plenty of room plenty of light as opposed to a lot of you know model show venues that you go to was really a great venue and uh, I'm hoping that they keep it there for a while. It was really, really nicely done. Can I ask a quick question? Are they really communists? <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help myself. <laughs> I think there was a disclaimer up that said, you know, no actual communists were harmed in the creation of this model show. So I think actually their website says it's the people's glorious model show. <laughs> it's pretty great. Yeah, yeah. for sure. For sure. And I, so, Doug, going back to your point, I will mention that, yes, they are IPMS commies. There are no commies, but it does stand for something. It is the Colorado Modeling Militia Enjoying Sci-Fi. So, 
for everyone out there. That's what the club means. That's what they represent. I think it's, you know, it's great that they are truly a sci-fi uh, based club, but what's, what's awesome is they accept everyone. Usually it's the other way around, I think. Uh, and it's, it's really great to see, you know, they're the chillest group of people. They are uh, some of the most encouraging, some of the most, you know, grateful, very nice and, and welcoming for new members as well. You know, I, I've shown up at the meetings, uh, again, coming in, not really knowing anyone, and they were welcoming me with open arms and certainly with other members. Doug, I want to go back to a point you talked about where Grant had to give you a kit because he bought too much. Well, TJ, this morning, he's packing up his bag. He's like, dude, I don't think I have enough room. So I pulled out a fabric bag uh, from the pantry and let him stuff it full of kits, and he was able to check a bag and take his kits and take his built models home. And then Jim Bates was exploding. I don't think he could fit another magazine in his book in his book bag either. <laughs> oh, man, that's great. Well, Doug, <laughs> uh, um, I think uh, we've got some feedback this episode, don't we? We surely do. Let's start with, is it Pete Kulos? I listened to great it with great interest to episode 40, where the theme was model shows as exhibitions instead of contests and exploring our alternative venues. I'm a board member of the Artist Preservation Group, which is a group of figure, figure modelers who raise money for historic preservation. Uh, we recently paid 20000 for a, a Revolutionary War Dragoon Sword on behalf of the Museum of the American Revolution in Philadelphia. In conjunction with that donation, they have invited us to do an exhibition of Revolutionary War miniatures at the museum on June 18th and 19th. There will also be a painting class on the 16th and 17th. If this event is successful, we can approach other museums and historic sites about hosting similar events in the future. Fingers crossed. You can find info at their website. It's artistpreservationgroup.com. Thanks and yeehaw! Really appreciate the yeehaw, Pete. Thank you. Zach Pease. Uh, okay, great episode as usual, but I have a beep. The 80s were not that long ago. I agree. <laughs> I totally agree with that statement. Uh, Brian Schultz. Good show, guys. I've been looking at 3D printers for a while, but haven't pulled the trigger yet. It might sound stupid to a lot of people, but one thing I've wanted to do is scale up a World War II drop tank to do a 124 scale uh, salt flat car out of it. That'd think? be really, yeah, that'd be really cool. They, uh, you know, out here in Salt Lake City, um, they did the, they have the Bonneville Salt Flats west of town, and they used to run a bunch of those drop tank based uh, race cars out there in, you know, in decades past. I don't know if they still do or not, but we certainly are familiar with those over here in, in uh, Utah. Cool deal. Mike Wilson, the Stranded Mountie. Hey there, I've been listening to your podcast for the last while now. I recently joined the RCMP and was posted in Northern British Columbia, feeling a long way from home, my local hobby club clubs, and I really struggled for a while. Your podcast has helped me feel more connected to the hobby community and consistently helps me keep the mojo and motivation up. Just wanted to say thank you to all you guys and uh, for the positive vibe the show, the show puts up there. I'm mostly an aircraft guy building World War II props and some modern stuff, but you guys have started to corrupt me as I just picked up a couple of tanks, and once I figure out how to overcome the tracks, they'll get underway. Keep up the good work. I wanted to express my personal appreciation for how you guys have helped me feel connected and motivated to combat work stress and anxiety with this amazing hobby of ours. Wow. Thanks, Mike. And finally, Dave Weiss. Hey guys, really loving the podcast. You guys do a fantastic job. 
I've been building most of my 58 years. I have a YouTube channel called The Glue Bomb Show, where I unbox the kits I build and do short reviews when I finish them. I build just about everything, but I really love the old cartoon kits by Ed Roth, Bill Campbell, etc. These guys inspired me to become an artist when I was a little kid, and I still make art. I even started a little shop for model builders. Well, thank you, Dave. That's awesome. We'll get, get that uh, YouTube channel checked out. And that's all the feedback I have for now. Uh, so thank you. Keep the, keep the feedback coming. We love to hear from you guys. Yeah, absolutely. And again, uh, it's plastic posse podcast at gmail.com, or you can send us a message on our Facebook page as well at the, you know, whatever you're more, uh, most comfortable with. All right. We want to break for a moment here. And, uh, um, Chris Meddings, who's a member of the uh, Sprue Cutters Union uh, podcast, has put together a uh, book project to help uh, provide aid to the people over in Ukraine. And so we're going to turn some time over to Chris for a quick uh, ad with more information on this, and we'll be back on the other side. Hi, everyone. This is Chris from Inside the Armour Publications. Like many of you, I've been watching the news over the past few days and have been appalled by the suffering and hardship inflicted on the people of Ukraine as they attempt to flee the war in their country. I decided to reach out to other companies and modelers in the hobby and to see if we couldn't do something to support the charities that are helping these people. The results of this is the book Models for Ukraine. The book features only models manufactured by Ukrainian manufacturers as built by modelers from all over the world who have gladly and freely given their time and work to support this charity effort. The full profits of the book will go directly to humanitarian aid. Our printer have given us an incredible discount at less than cost, and all of those involved have given their work for free. The only thing that will be deducted from the price of the book is the transaction fees and a small cost of printing. Everything else will go directly to humanitarian charities to support people in Ukraine. If you'd like more information, please go to www.insidethearmor.com. It will be sold there and in other sources as I talk to them, uh, make arrangements for them to sell the book as well. Please do buy the book or alternatively, please do find a charity such as Red Cross, Disasters Emergency Committee or others to do what you can to support women, children and civilians fleeing this awful war. Thank you. All right. Uh, appreciate Chris doing that. And uh, hopefully uh, if you guys feel like it's appropriate, you can check out that book and uh, do some good at the same time. Now we're going to go to our main segment, which is the audio from our Facebook Live from last Friday that we did with Fred Medell, who is the marketing director for Tamiya USA. And it's a, it was a great live. We learned a lot about uh, Fred's modeling as well as Tamiya USA, how things work, you know, projects that are coming up. Um, I really enjoyed uh, speaking with Fred. Uh, John, what did you think of that conversation? Oh, I think it was great. You know, Fred gave some great insight to the hobby industry itself. I think that's something we don't get usually. You know, everything from talking about how you market a kit to what's popular, taking the feedback, and, and really just how our kits are born. I think the, the one thing that impressed me the most was talking about the time frame of kit development. That's something you honestly never hear about. And to know that 
you know, it goes from literally nothing to an injection molded kid in about a year. Sometimes they're accelerated, sometimes they take longer, but that, you know, that average time frame was great. And then learning about how the kits developed, how the ideas are generated uh, in its simplest form too was, was really great. And it was good to get to know Fred. You know, it's certainly not the last time we'll talk to him. We hope to see him at Nats. If we don't see him, we'll certainly see his associates at the table, most likely George, who supported the live event as well. So I certainly want to thank him. But all in all, it, it was great. You know, to me, it's an awesome brand. It was awesome for Fred to take the time to talk to us. And uh, I, I take I take pride in the fact that I showed him some things he'd never seen before from his own company. So that was really cool and having a chuckle about some of the old kits that they were producing. So overall, 10 out of 10. I really enjoyed it. Again, thank you, Fred. Thank you, George. Thank you to Mia, for that matter, um, supporting us with the interview, supporting the charity with James and and, you know, supporting the, the hobby as well. I, I think it was very, you know, just really important to get that through. Um, enjoy the uh, the uh, live stream. All right, we are live. Welcome to the Plastic Posse live broadcast here on March 4th. Tonight, I am joined by all of my illustrious co-hosts and a special guest. So I'm just going to go around the room for a quick introduction and to check in on everybody. And then we're going to jump into getting to know our special guest. So Scott, how are you doing tonight? Doing good. Uh, it's Friday, which is great. Um, I got to tell you, though, I'm really, really uh, distracted. Uh, looking forward to next week over in Denver at Commies Fest, uh, but super excited to talk to our guest tonight. So doing good. So I know Scott won't mention it, but today is his 21st birthday. So, <laughs> so happy yeah. birthday, Scott. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. So going around the room, let's let's check in check in over at our uh, our ally over on the uh, other side of the pond. Ivan, how you doing tonight, buddy? I'm good. I'm cold. Just finished work. Got the attire ready for this special episode. Is is that your special jumper? Uh, this is a shirt. Oh, you don't have a fancy name for that? <laughs> Does he have just, lounge just, trousers <laughs> on underneath? Uh, no, just in shorts tonight. I wonder. I wonder why I'm cold. <laughs> nice. So TJ, how's it going? It's going good. A little tired from work, but uh, I'm all right. What's on the printer tonight? Nothing. I had to. I spent the afternoon right after I got home from work later than usual and cleared out the uh, the vat because I had the, the resin get stuck to the bottom. So then I dried, wiped it down, just kind of let it dry, let all the alcohol evaporate off. So I might throw something on there before I go to bed tonight. Nice. Nice. I, I, I have my Boba Fett. She's going or he, I guess, but <laughs> it's, it's a sweet machine. I tell you, I, I can't wait to use it more. And I'm kind of mad. I took a week to start it, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I got the washing cure station going. It's all good. So maybe I'll have a birthday present for Scott when he shows up. Sweet. <laughs> and last, but certainly not least Doug Scott's neighbor. How you doing over in Utah? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. It, like like y'all said, it's Friday, and I'm happy about that. So waiting for the storm to come in. It's getting a bit chilly. Yeah, it's rolling in on our side, too. I was going to ask if it started snowing over there. Nah, we just got rain so far. 
Doug, I'm, you know, I'm really disappointed. I was hoping one of these times you'll have your, one of your glorious snakes with you that you could show our listeners. Well, it can happen. Somebody just has to tell me that they want to see it. Most people are afraid. They're afraid of them. Even Jim Bates said he was afraid to even see it through the computer. So. Yeah. All right. On that bombshell, we're going to go over to our special guest. He is the head of marketing for Tamiya USA. We are really privileged that he's taken the time to speak with us tonight from California. Fred Medell, how are you tonight? I'm doing well. Thank you. Hey, so Fred. How- Howdy. So, Fred, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? So, um, I'm the head of marketing for Tamiya USA. Uh, actually, today's kind of a uh, kind of a momentous day. Um, Today, I celebrated uh, 25 years to the day uh, being with Tamiya America. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. That's, awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, thank you. So uh, we had a little celebration today at work. Um, actually, it was kind of a twofold celebration. Uh, a, my 25 years, and, and B, you know, their office is back together. Um, during COVID, we kind of did the whole um, work from home thing. We did a hybrid thing for a little bit, but... Uh, We've been back at it for the last uh, six months until, you know, Omicron showed its ugly head. Um, but now with everything seeming, seeming to kind of, you know, be on a better schedule, uh, not schedule, but turn, we kind of like got together for lunch and, you know, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, 25 years with Tamiya, um, you know, head the marketing. And I also... Uh, oversee our customer service department have two guys in that department that uh are really great to deal with our customers on one-on-one via the phone via email so yeah um my job is quite fun that's awesome so you know since you mentioned your awesome anniversary maybe we'll just jump in right there and talk about your career at tamia usa if you wouldn't mind you know looking back 25 years kind of I mean, I'd be really curious, and I'm sure a lot of listeners would. How, how do you even get involved with a company like Tamiya? Uh, well, interesting enough. So um, I grew up in Los Angeles, and during my college years, um, I started working at a hobby shop, a local hobby shop. Um, but when I was maybe when I turned 19, 20 years old or so. So uh, having worked retail, I got to know a lot about the hobby. Um, I was into hobbies, you know, building models to radio control car stuff. So um, what got me into Tamiya was actually winning one of their radio control car race events. So back in 1996, they had a national event where I uh, won the nationals along with three other people in different categories. And one of the cool things that Tamiya America was doing was those winners won a trip to Japan. And so, um, they paid your expenses to go to Japan, go compete at the uh, world championships where you got to meet other participants that won in Germany, Great Britain, different parts of Asia. So during that, that trip and during that journey, uh, I recall our escort taking us to like a typical Japanese hobby shop. And one of the ones they took us to was one that had two big sections on the left side of the door was all the plastic model stuff on the right side of the door was all the radio control stuff. So I've heard of this shop. So it was really cool for me to like, you know, go in for the first time. 
So immediately I go to the left where all the classic model stuff was. And our escort goes, no, 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 no. You're not interested in that stuff. All the RC stuff's over here. I go, no, 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 no. I actually built models long before I even discovered radio control cars. So they're like, what? That doesn't make any sense. Because our customer base doesn't do both. They do one or the other. I go, well, maybe I'm just weird. <laughs> so yeah, it was really cool for me to see all the Japanese, like, you know, esoteric brands, you know, because before the only way I was exposed to seeing a lot of the Japanese, you know, esoteric brands was through magazines like this. Yeah. Hobby Japan. Yep. Yeah. I was a big collector of this magazine back when I worked in a hobby store. So, um, yeah, I mean, um, shortly thereafter, when they discovered I, you know, not only knew where to control products and plastic models, um, about three months after I came back, they said, hey, we have an entry level position at To Me America. Would you be interested? And I was at a point in my life where I needed to kind of change courses to what I was doing. So I thought, oh, you know, that might be kind of an interesting um thing to do and i started off in the customer service department so not much different than helping customers you know at a hobby shop and you know answering their questions and selling them stuff um answered phones um took care of customers um as part of my job i got to you know go to trade shows uh work events and from there just um grew through the ladder you know, I uh, got promoted to running the customer service department. Um, we had a, a marketing position that opened up years later. I jumped into that. I mean, to me, marketing came naturally. You know, having worked retail, um, it's like, well, marketing's pretty simple. You, you talk about something that you really believe in, and you talk about it, you share it with everybody, and people will come. Yeah, that's the that's the thing I was just thinking, you know, working for a brand like Tamiya that takes its product quality so seriously, it has to be, you know, I don't want to say easy because a job is always a little tough, but, sure. you know, it's, it's easy to get passionate about something that is as high quality as the product range that Tamiya has. Yeah, and that's the thing is I, I, I mean, we all love our, we all have our favorite brands. Like for me, I didn't discover Tamiya until I was in uh, a senior in high school. Um, I built models since I was 10. Uh, I, I would see my dad building Ravel models, monogram, and I took to it. But as a kid, I always thought, why aren't there better models? Why do these things <laughs> suck at like fitting together? Um, and I also thought, you know, why isn't there other subject matters. Like I'm heavy into formula one. I love formula one racing since I was, since I can remember my dad introduced me to it. There was no formula one models that I knew of. So, um, in high school, I kind of left the modeling world for a little bit, but I discovered a toy store in Los Angeles. Uh, my buddy and I went to it just to get like a gift for his brother. And I discovered a model section. And in the back of the model section was this brand called Tamiya. I'm like, what's this? I've never heard of this brand. It's either Ravel or Monogram, <laughs> you know? So I, I found a Formula One kit. And it was my first Tamiya model that I ever built was uh, a Formula One Williams kit 
think it was FW09. And I was just amazed at how well that thing fit. It's like, I don't have to sand anything. I don't have to putty anything. This just (laughs) goes together. So from that, I was a convert. I'm like, this is amazing. And it was years later while I was in college when I discovered these guys make RC cars too. Well, that's different. And the RC cars is just modeling, except it moves when you're done. Yeah, that's awesome. So I, I want to rewind a little bit. You know, you talk about your experience in Japan. Do you remember the name of the hobby shop? Uh, the name of the hobby shop was, oh, I know it's in this magazine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yellow uh, Submarine? I'm just trying to think of ones in Aqua. I, I have been to Yellow Submarine. That was different. Okay. Um, oh, my God. It escapes me. No worries. I, you know, on our yeah. podcast, I, I think I might be the only one that have, has experienced the hobby shops in Japan and the plastic posse. We're hoping to take a field trip there someday because it's just so good. And, you know, one thing that we've seen pictures of when it comes to Japan is Tamiya headquarters. And are people allowed to take tours of Tamiya headquarters? I, I know let's talk outside of the pandemic, but typically is that an option for people going to Japan? Yes. So our headquarters has a a rather nice lobby where we have a lot of the full-size subjects that Mr. Tamiya has purchased. So for for example, we have a Tyrell six-wheeler that's sitting in the lobby. We have a Formula One Lotus 102D, uh, a couple Porsches, motorcycles. So people are allowed to check out the the, um, museum, but it's a sketch that's, there's actual um, schedule on their website that says mm. when you when you can go. So yeah, and as far as the tours go, like they won't show you like the mold stuff. Of course, too, too closely. <laughs> yeah, I've seen it, but they they kind of you know. But yeah, they they do tours. That's awesome. Now for Tamiya USA, is your headquarters in the LA region? Uh, so. Tamiya USA started was incorporated in 1989 by Mr. Okay. M. Tamiya, and they bought land in Aliso Viejo, California, which is right next to Irvine slash Laguna Beach. Um, and they built a 75,000 square foot facility in which they did marketing, sales, customer service, and warehousing. Um, in 2006, we had a restructure of the company in which we sold um, that property and uh, changed the dynamic of the company to where we work inside of an office over here in Irvine, and we outsource the warehousing uh, to an LTL company in Los Angeles, closer to the ports. Gotcha. So when that shift happened with the company, is that kind of when the TamiyaCon for USA kind of faded away? Yeah, so I used used to run TamiyaCon along with other members of the company and we had built it up big, you know, it started off really small as a one day event then it became yeah. a two day event. And then we started bringing in big tanks for display, big uh, RC tank battles, RC car demonstrations, the modeling thing, you know, the contest got bigger. Uh, and then after the restructure it, that went away because we used that facility to do the yep. event. Yeah, no, I mean, we, we talked with Stan Spooner, I think, who you know, and, you know, growing up, you know, Tamiya Khan, that was like the place to be. And you see pictures online and, yeah. and how awesome it was. But, you know, talking about shows, though, you know, your role probably has you going to 
conventions all across the globe as well. So will you be attending the IPMS Nationals this year? Uh, we're sending George. Uh, okay. George is our uh, one of our sales representatives, senior re- representative over at Tamiya America and personal friend of mine. And he's huge in the models. And uh, he will be going with possibly me. We're not sure. Or uh, we have a new sales rep who hasn't been to an IPMS Nationals yet. And he's like really eager to go. Nice. So, um, yeah. So t- at least two of us will be going. That's awesome. So I guess going back to your role at Tamiya USA and co-host, please feel free to jump in. I know I'm monopolizing the conversation, but, uh, you know, I love the business aspect of the hobby. And if you could, you know, shed some more light on that, you know, with your role within Tamiya USA, you know, how do you find yourself, I guess, do you conduct customer research, you know, walk us through kind of like your main goal in the marketing department for Tamiya USA. Well, as the marketing guy, I, I wear a lot of hats mm-hmm. and it's, it's all tied to marketing. A lot of it is forecasting new product development that to me is working on, uh, how to, you know, best send the message to people. So for example, we send mess, you know, the message through, um, like magazines, like IPMS journal, fine scale, mm-hmm. um, some of more and more we're starting to do, um, more of the influencers, mm-hmm. um, so as far as research, we just jump, just jump on the forums, Yeah, <laughs> you know, you, you jump on the forums and now more than ever, you jump on YouTube, yeah. you know, you jump on YouTube and, you, uh, for example, we give a lot of models to some of the influencers and you just start reading the comments. You start, mm-hmm. you know, listening to what people say, listening to what the reviewers say. Um, and it's just, the information's there, you know, you just grab it, interpret it. I, you know, I also think you're kind of in a unique situation where anything Tamiya puts out, you, your brand is so strong that, you know, the modeling community understands that when you release a kit, you've done your research and you've done your engineering. And I think that really speaks volume to the quality of your models. And I'll be honest, any 135th scale tank you put out, I'm going to buy. You could, you could literally make the most esoteric or most common vehicle ever known to mankind. And I'm probably going to buy it because I know it will be a joy to build. And I think my co-host would agree. And that's the biggest challenge is there's so many subjects we can do and there's so much untapped other genres that we can tap Mm -hmm. to we probably get more requests than there is time to (laughs) design and develop um for example something can take almost a year to two years to develop um and then sometimes some things we want to do it's like well the way we develop things sometimes we may not have access to certain information right let's say we wanted to do a model of well we want to do a los angeles class submarine to me, it may go to the people who manufacture that and say, so we need the architectural, not the architect, the engineering drawings to this thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> They're going to be like, what? So, um, or, you know, we go measure things. Yep. So, for example, George and I were involved um, with the P38, the, the first version, the, the uh, FG, going over to the Chino Air Museum, which yep. is like a 30-minute drive with the yep. designers and just watching those guys photograph the things for like the next eight hours, you know? <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, the amount of research is daunting, but yeah. the designers in Japan are, are so talented that by the time it gets to you guys, it's like, okay, I like, 
the classic saying goes, you just shake it, put some glue in it, and there it is. <laughs> That's right. So I'd love to go back. You mentioned the timeline, one to two years, and I'd love to expand on it because this is something that I don't have insight into is, you know, when how talking through the timeline and maybe some of the major steps as well, as much as you can say, of course, but let's go from maybe just an idea of a subject to a kit in someone's hand. What does that process look like and potentially how, how long does it take? So the initial process begins with a lot of people within the company and it can be within to me, America, Europe, um, Great Britain, other parts of Asia, especially at shows will converse with some of the designers or the head of um, planning and development and say, Hey, we think our market would love this. And then you'll have the other regions go, we think our market will like this. So then they'll just take all that information and then spread it around and say, okay, if we were to do this, how many do you think you can make or, or, or um, sell in market? And then based on that feedback, it either becomes a viable hmm, or hmm, that's not enough to, to develop the mm-hmm. tooling for that. Yep. So let's say, for example, I may say, you know, I'd like to have a model of, you know, the Mach 5 from Speed Racer. The, the production guys will be like, well, how many of those things do you really think you can sell? And we really don't do science fiction stuff. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that's part one. Part two is figuring out, okay, well, is there licensing involved? And how much does that licensing cost? Mm-hmm. Uh, where do we measure this thing? Can we get, you know, drawings for it? Can we go measure it? Can we photograph it? So a lot of that stuff can take six months just to gather that initial information. Um, but once they have that information in hand, whether it's going to uh, visit a museum, uh, possibly getting, you know, drawings for the thing, um, then it's like, full speed. And from there, it takes maybe between six months to under a year, depending on the scale. Yeah. So for example, a 48 scale airplane can take, you know, once everything's in place, less than a year. Um, A 32nd scale aircraft could take as long as three years because you've got so much more detail. Yeah. You know, I'm amazed at the timeline. I think that's really fast, to be honest, Mm. especially for a 48 scale aircraft, a year turnaround time from kind of like inception to production. It's, it's really fast. And at the quality in which you're doing, it's incredibly impressive. Yeah. Well, the inception part can take a little while. So let's, Mm -hmm. without giving away secrets, let's say I, they decide to develop this thing here. Well, (laughs) to get all that information for them to, actually sit there on a computer and put it in CAD, that may take a year. Yeah. You know, so if once they have that, then it takes another year yeah. to design and tweak and produce test shots and all, all that. Yeah. So I will even say like that one, that two year time frame is even very impressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, gathering that data, doing all the design work, the tooling, and then you got to think about everything with supply chain and, and, and instructions for that matter. And that's all done in-house at Tamiya in Japan. Is there is there design work done in Tamiya USA or is that all focused in Japan? When it comes to the, the plastic model, physical design of the model, that's all in Japan. Okay. Yeah. 
Um, like they'll use us to maybe, you know, call museums, mm -hmm. uh, orchestrate visits to, well, let's say, uh, a real factory. So they'll use us for that. Uh, but yeah, all the computer stuff, that's all done in Japan. Nice. So if we see you posting on Instagram that you're in Fort Benning or, you know, some museum, that, that might be a clue of what's coming down the pipe a year or two from now. Yeah. Some, some, <laughs> I try not to do that. Uh, but I forget which kid it might have been. It was an aircraft model some years ago. And, and one of the designers or, or somebody at the museum took a picture showing <laughs> these guys measuring a plane. And it's like, no, <laughs> I think I remember a story about that. And I, I could have swear it was like an Udver Hazi. And I didn't know if it was the Zuki Mora guys or it might've been Tamiya, but there was, Something there was like a that. story similar to that where they had photographs of them up on, you know, measuring the cowling and everything. And everybody's yeah. like, Oh my gosh, it's coming down the road. So that's, that's really funny. And now more than ever, especially with like social media, with Facebook, Instagram, yeah. and everybody's got one of these. It's so fast to go. <laughs> you you run to let's say you run into a janitor that's yeah. like a modeler and goes, "Hey, what are they? Why are they measuring?" And as he goes, ask a question, "Hey, who are you? Oh, I work with Tamia." <gasps> the jig is up. Light up so, Facebook and the rest. Yeah, of the do you do you send uh, George out on uh, subterfuge missions to uh, <laughs> throw modelers off the case? You know that would be the, the most ultimate uh, April Fool's joke is to send George. To, <laughs> to, to, let's say I don't know uh, uh, Area Fifty One, and you know, yeah. he's, he's measuring a UFO. It's like, wait a minute, what's he, what's he doing? Oh, that's funny. No. Yeah. That, that's really cool. Um, so, you know, with Tamiya USA as well, you know, you, you go to trade shows, you go to modeling events, you know, do, are you collecting feedback at the show as well and, and taking oh, that into account? when Absolutely. Cool. Absolutely. Um, uh, usually we'll have like a, a survey. I know George has been doing the survey since he's been going. I used to do the surveys when I would go to the IPMS nationals uh, a lot. And yeah, we'll, we'll collect data. Like, you know, mm -hmm. what do people want? And you usually find a theme, you know, like some years, like everybody seems to want X and then other mm -hmm. years they seem to want Y. Um, so yeah, like the P38, awesome. going back to your earlier question, the P38, the first FG was developed from inception of like the idea mm -hmm. to a, to the kit. I believe in a little over a year, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. Yeah, because Mr. Tamiya got really excited once he found the pitch was interesting. Mm -hmm. um, some things, the stars align, and sometimes they don't. So maybe your listeners will be interested in this. Um, I had breakfast with a bunch of my modeling friends that live locally, Stan being mm -hmm. one of them. Um, I don't know if you know, guys know Jim Wexler. Oh, yeah. Fantastic yeah. armor modeler. Yeah. All around modeler. Yeah. No, Jim's like one of my guys that I'm like, oh, my God, I wish I could paint like that. And he paints so fast and like, okay. <laughs> and some other friends. And I happened to ask the question, so what, what plane do you guys think we could do that hasn't been done that would be popular? And – some planes were thrown around 
But at the end, they're like, well, you know, a P38. And I'm like, okay, I, I, I know the P38, but, but why? Other people make it. And they're like, yeah, but they all suck. Yeah. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> they're all a challenge to build. And I go, why are they a challenge to build? And I said, because nobody gets the wings right, that they're, they're hard. That's why you don't. Here's one thing I didn't know. You don't see them often at IPMS shows or contests. And I'm like, well, why is that? He goes, because the first thing the judges will do is they'll measure the, um, how do I word this? Uh, how the wings fit, mm-hmm. like if they're straight or not. And because mm-hmm. it's a dual fuselage plane, like apparently other manufacturers struggled in, or modelers struggle in getting that glued and assembled right. So, oh, that's interesting. So within that week, our EVP of Tumi America, who works out of Japan, was visiting, and he was asking for feedback. He's like, oh, what do you guys think about what models you make? And it's like, well, you know, all my modeling friends seem to think the P-38 might be the next cool one. And based on our success of recent aircraft, if we were to do a P-38, it would be a grand slam. So because Chino is so close to us, he went and checked out the real one over at the uh, Chino Air Museum. Planes of Fame, pictures, yep. yeah. Planes of Fame, took pictures, went back to Japan, gave that feedback to Mr. Tamiya. It, Mr. I think Mr. Tamiya liked the idea, like, oh, so nobody built one that's right? Hmm, <laughs> okay. And saw the pictures and pretty much put some of the other projects on the back burner and said, make that. That's awesome. And yeah. between that time... And by the time it came out, it was little over a year. That's impressive. I remember the Chattanooga Nationals back, I believe it was 2019, when you guys gave away the white boxes. Yeah. That was a feeding frenzy. Let me tell you, I have yeah. never seen <laughs> such an aggressive horde of grown men around an object in my entire <laughs> life. And, well, I mean, you know, yeah, Doug, Doug, Doug and I – sorry, JB. Doug and I have been – literally dreaming about a Tamiya 148 scale P38 for what Doug 25 years. Yeah. 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 I built, I built one of the competition P38s in the nineties and it wasn't a bad kit, but man, you, those wings were so weak. They just wanted to, I mean, they, they held their shape, but if you had to be super careful cause they would, they would flex and they would give and they would split at the seams just because they weren't well designed. Yeah. And and that's the thing is like, I'm not an aircraft builder. I, I admire aircraft and I, I just saw the test shots. And I'm like how the thing goes together and how it lines up the wings. I'm like, Oh my God, that's pretty genius. You know? So yeah, I'm glad everybody liked it. Yeah. It was a big hit. And, you know, speaking of, you know, potential new big hits, you know, in 2022, you guys have had some awesome releases, you know, the KV2 and the, M18 Hellcat, which I'm about to, you know, rent a Zodiac and go find it <laughs> in the Pacific. Um, but, you know, these – I think us Americans are chomping at the bit for them. Can you talk a little bit about those subjects? Sure. So the, the Hellcat is delayed, as you guys know. Uh, it's available in other markets. Um, and, you know, the reason why it's delayed is because our – you know, as you know, we are having – well, everybody seems to be having uh, shipping issues. We're not – prone to it mm-hmm. um so yeah our container still not here and uh you know i know a lot of guys like marcus nichols from yep to me a model magazine i guess he's made a lot of comments about like this is the best armor kit he's ever 
built as far as like fit, you mm-hmm. know, they think it's amazing. And now my modeling friends who have my direct numbers, like, where is it? Where is it? Like, oh God. <laughs> so, um, but it is finally, it's closer to being here. It's supposed to be here within the next couple of weeks, sometime in March. Awesome. So, um, yeah. Uh, even, I don't know if you guys follow Andy's hobby headquarters. Oh yeah. Hmm? Yeah. Um, we send him kits, you know, he's, he's such a, like, no nonsense kind of guys like, here, here's the kit. Here's the review. Here's how you build it. And he's like, so I got the sample, but where's my kits? <laughs> <laughs> well, his pre-order has been sold out and I think he opened up another round and it's sold out as well. So yeah. I miss both goes. They, you know, it's a, it's an awesome vehicle. I can't wait to see it in, you know, physical form. But yeah, you know, our friend Darren uh, over at the Model Geeks podcast yeah. has a sample. Uh, TJ tried to steal it from him. I don't think it was successful. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we've seen Brett Green's work. His his build for the M18 was just published in his mag uh, just recently. So everyone has been echoing the sentiments of Marcus where it's, uh, you know, a simply fantastic kit. Um, it looks like you just pulled out a sprue of some sort. <laughs> you have to be careful with that. Well, George, People... <laughs> George just reminded me in the chat. He's like, test shots, test shots. So this is George's uh, test shot. Oh, um, nice. So this is the P38J. Yes. Which, you know, I don't pretend to be a P38 uh, aficionado, mm-hmm. but from what my modeling friends tell me who are really into aircraft tell me that the J is the most desired version because mm-hmm. of the different, um, uh, the aces, the yeah. aces. Yeah. You know, Stan Spooner was like a big proponent. It's like, gotta do the J you gotta do the J it's like, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> so, uh, George was very instrumental in, um, getting the extra data to the designers, uh, regarding the differences in the J and That's awesome. I really, really hope we got it right. So, um, George is very meticulous. Uh, so are the designers. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And then prior to us going live, I was showing the guys, uh, the decal set, which includes Marge. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, I can't wait to see this thing. And it's, it has a, Worldwide release date, I believe, June 21st should be the last business. Yeah, either the 31st or the 31st 31st or the 21st. But that's when it's scheduled to be available for sale. That's awesome. So, you know, you you mentioned the decal sheet there. I'm assuming the development process and choosing color schemes is – kind of along the same lines of choosing of the vehicle to start where you look at kind of iconic examples or, you know, can you walk us through that? Maybe how you choose the subjects within the kit itself or the markings that is. Uh, usually the, from what I've noticed is the designers will have markings in mind and then they'll ask depending on the, you know, where the real subjects lie. Like for example, on the P38, they asked us, well, which markings, you know, this is what we're thinking. And so we give them feedback. It's like, well, yeah, that one's cool, but this one would be better because of, you know, it shot down way more planes than this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, or there's a better restoration version of this one that people can look at than this one where who knows where it's at. Yeah. So, um, 
yeah, they get feedback from different sources. Us, the UK, you know, wh- wherever it's going to be sold, they'll ask. That's cool. You know, one of the questions I have as well is if you can maybe speak to it is what is Tamiya's most popular release of all time? Of anything? Of anything. I think from the Panther A, which is rudimentary, all the way up to like the 30-second scale spit that just came out. You know, I'd be curious to know, um, you know, it, or you can pick a recent example. I, I'm just curious on what is popular uh, with, you know, people from around the globe for that matter. Well, I'm not privy to like how many sales of any particular subject, for example, in the UK. Yeah. We don't share that information. Um, I mean, they won't share that with us, just like I won't share sales information with them. <laughs> right. <laughs> but to me, at Japan knows how many were were sold to mm-hmm. the respective regions. I can only speak for us. The most popular airplane kit, for example, in recent years is the P-38, followed very closely by the Phantom, which, yeah. which I'll give cre- George a lot of credit. George has been screaming Phantom 48 scale <laughs> <laughs> till, till I want to go stop (laughs) but he was right you know that thing came out but i got to know a lot about the p38 that i'm like you know i think it's gonna be neck and neck between those two and and they're like they're really close yeah um so the within recent memory the best-selling two best-selling kits right now is the p38 the phantom and the f14 yeah 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 that makes sense yeah Really good kits there. What about what about from an armor perspective? From an armor's perspective, um, the Sherman Easy Eight was one of our best-selling kits. That that's that is a uh, highly favorite kit. I mean, that's things constant because it's um, really good. <laughs> <laughs> there's one. There's one in that cabinet right behind me. Oh, I see. Yeah, that 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 seems like. Um, when Fury came out, oh, yeah. like, everybody wanted that thing. So uh, that's a constant seller. That's in that's in the top. Uh, anything American does well. Yeah. Um, German, you know. Let's see. How, when it comes to scale, at least from an armor perspective, do you see you know still a, a large strength behind one thirty fifth and? 48th is slowly growing or yeah 35th by far is like the preferred scale but 48th scale is as long as we release subjects people go oh okay i'll take it (laughs) just like you know this little guy here yeah people buy it yeah (laughs) so yeah as long as we we make it, it 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 sells but yeah 35th is still the most popular uh, and 48th has like that steady growth. Yeah. Yeah. It, the thing is you have to make it. If, if yeah. you don't make it, then people kind of forget. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you guys are, you guys are the 800 pound gorilla in the 48 scale market. I mean, there are other manufacturers, but I mean, you have over a hundred kits, right? In 148 scale now armor. Uh, I don't know if, actively, but at, you know, since the inception of it. Yeah. 
Yeah. Another question I have, I guess, you know, maybe some of the popularity behind the easy eight and some of your subjects, do you think it's related to your sales at, you know, stores like Hobby Lobby that are not traditionally a hobby shop? Do you, do you see that market growing where, you know, whether it be a new hobbyist or grandma or anyone, do you, do you find that market as strong as well outside of your traditional hobby markets, hobby shop markets? The thing with Hobby Lobby is it does give us access to people who may not normally go to a hobby shop, mm-hmm. but they're kind of price conscious. Right. So something, let's say, what's a good example? Like a P38 there, which has kind of a higher retail yep. uh, price tag than, let's say, a monogram version of it. The hobby Lobby won't touch it. Right. It's, it's just that they're very price conscious um, type of store. And which is fine, um, but it does. Ex- you know, there are certain older military kits that they do carry, and that does yeah. expose uh, people to the brand, which is yeah. good for us. Yeah, I picked up my Easy Eight Sherman from there, the thirty fifth scale, and I got a forty eight scale Abrams from there. So they they do carry a, a decent they have, selection. They, they of- have, oh no, I guess so. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. And they still got the Walker Bulldog, the classic Walker yeah. Bulldog, <laughs> the classic 251 Hanno Mag, the Panther A, you know, the stalwarts of the armor modeling yeah, world. Yeah, they seem to like the Walker Bulldog. It's so funny. <laughs> There's a local one here. My neighbor works at the uh, um, Hobby Lobby, and she's like, we have some of your guys' stuff. Like, oh, yeah, you do. <laughs> Well, it's good. I mean, it's it's easy for for beginners to start with. I mean, I've even built a Walker Bulldog. I think I think almost every modeler has that and yeah. the Panther A. I think the Panther A is probably, you know, if you're an armor modeler, you you gritted your teeth on that one and then upgraded. Yeah, exactly. But it's still a very popular subject. Yeah. I mean, how many posts do you see on Facebook or whatever? Some guys like, oh, I built models when I was a kid, and I saw this Walker Bulldog at Hobby Lobby, so I bought it. <laughs> Like yeah. it's really common. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, there there are a few groups like the grumpy old scale modelers, the mediocre modelers. You know, some of these groups that, you know, it's more for general modeling. There's tons of those ty- kind of posts that that TJ mentioned where you know a fortuitous happenstance where they walk into Hobby Lobby, they're bitten by the bug, and they kind of go back to their childhood. So it's really cool to see that, and then especially you know getting reintroduced with Tamiya because it. They're easy kits and they make people want to stay. If they grab a monogram one, that's a different story. They might never come back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that's the thing about our kits that it, it is a constant. Ever since I worked at a shop, it is a constant thing where people will get into something and they'll and they'll pick usually something that's inexpensive and it can be a monogram, it can be a tester's kit, mm-hmm. you know, and they'll come back and oh that was okay, but what's the next step? And you give them a Tamiya kit and they're like, Oh my God. They're like, how does that even, how did I even start there? It's like, well, but then, but you're paying more, you know, yeah. for that. And it goes to the engineering and the time it takes to, to do it right. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask that. I mean, we've kind of talked about how you select the subject, but on Tamiya kits, I think the customer experience and what I mean by that is the 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 fabled to me engineering of like on the P38 you know you've got round metal steel marbles that are engineered into the booms 
to provide the perfect amount of weight so it doesn't sit on its tail. Um, and then also you mentioned earlier the engineering that went into making that wing um, be correct to the aircraft and and work across that. So, you know, um, how, how big of a part of each new project is that? Because, you know, your your kits are engineered unlike really any other kits that, that I've built from for the modeler's experience. So the motto for the designers and for Mr. Tamiya is to give modelers a rewarding experience, the most rewarding experience. And part of that is the less frustrating you make the kit process build, the better. So the engineers will sit there and go, okay, this is going to be a challenge to get this to match with this so that, you know, you get to build it. It makes sense to paint it maybe at this point or build it or paint it at this point. So they sit there and they're just racking their brain because they're they're modelers. They they know the challenges and, and so that's their motto is like how do we make this rewarding so that you want to go back and go through that fun experience again. They don't want you I mean, like there was a period where people fell into that trap. The more parts, the better. The more parts that the kit has the more fun I'm going to have. And then, you know, I don't even mention the brand. You had so many parts in this kit that I started hearing feedback like, yeah, the thing has a thousand parts, but the way it goes together makes no sense and it's not fun. So they would just put that project to the side, you know? So parts count became a big thing where, oh, more parts count, the more fun I'm going to have. And now it's like, no, just give me a parts count that makes sense to where I can build, paint, move on, you know? Yeah, it makes total sense. I mean, a perfect example is your new Mark IV, uh, your Panzer IV D. It's a gorgeous kit. I had Dragon's kit, but like you said, it has a thousand parts. The instructions, I feel like half of them don't even tell you where to put stuff, but it's that experience that I built Dragon before. It's a brand that, you know, for some models, it's great. But when I look at, if I have a choice, there's no question. It's it's Tamiya because I know what I'm getting. It's it's easy. It's straightforward. Like you said, it's logical. It's fun. And it gets you easily from cracking open the box to starting to lay paint in a very you know easy sequential manner that an advanced modeler can do and detail up. Or you know your average modeler can just grab and have at it and have fun. Yeah. And that's the thing is if 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 you make it so that you know the person doesn't want to progress through the kit then you've lost that customer, right? You know, you lost that hobbyist, you lost the modeler. Um, so that's one of the key things that the designers strive for is like, how do we get this thing so that it rewards you mm-hmm. instead of frustrate you? Yeah. So I, I'm going to ask a basic question and it's a question that always comes up online. Um, it's, People, when they say the hobby is dying, you know, you are an industry professional. I would love and we would love to hear your opinion on maybe the outlook of the hobby. Uh, And maybe the focus is on the U.S. market because uh, that's what you're responsible for. But we'd love to have your insight, if possible, into that type of question that we routinely see. So a lot of people say the hobby is dying because they're continually comparing it to what it was like in the 70s and early 80s, mm-hmm. where 
kids, young adults, full adults had less distractions in life. Mm-hmm. You know, once you introduced uh, video games, once you introduced um, social media, once you introduced just more th- things to occupy your mind, um, it did take away from, you know, hobbies. Um, mm-hmm. It took away from modeling, especially. Um, so that's why people keep they keep comparing, especially a lot of the like guys in their 70s, you know, now are comparing it to that era. Mm-hmm. And if you compare it to that era, okay, sure. But it's a, it's a different era now. And the way you, so it's not dying in mm-hmm. my opinion. It's what is going to keep it going is subject matter. Mm-hmm. So for example, we're known for doing military aircraft ship and vehicle. And our motto is, you know, it has to have some kind of meaning. Like, well, why would we make this? Well, mm-hmm. that happens to be one of the most, pardon my French, badass tanks from World War II. You did mm-hmm. not want to come up with one of the, up against one of those things. So there's a history behind it. Uh, there, there's a history behind a P-38. But new modelers, do they know that stuff? Are they learning that, about that stuff in school? Maybe yes, maybe no. Like I and I notice it like at shows. Like it's like mm-hmm. let's say you have a two hundred guys in the in the modeling room, you know, they're you know in the vendor room. Mm-hmm. So those hundred guys, you'll see maybe two or three kids that like are like really into it. It's like, oh that's a that's a Sherman, that's a tiger. But that you, you're gonna need more to sustain the hobby. So I think the biggest challenge for any model company is to make subjects that are relevant to the times. Um, that's why some of our competitors are being, are very successful with some of the subjects they're doing because mm-hmm. it's, it's relevant and it's capturing the, the imagination of old and new. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'll, I'll just throw it out there. For example, why is Bandai sell so many Gundam kits? Everybody likes robots. Mm-hmm. So, um, that community is continuing to grow. It's bringing mm-hmm. in new customers. What's cool about that is it kind of works harmoniously with us. Some mm-hmm. kid may build a you know a Gundam kit and then see, oh, you know what? I might want to build a car. Do they make cars? No, they don't make cars. But Tamiya does. And they may migrate over to Tamiya. They've gotten that experience over here with Brand X. Now they go over <coughs> here to Brand Y that makes different subject matter. Yeah, that's a really good point. And, and, and you know, a, a, a data point for that, Scott and I were at a show last two weeks ago in Seattle. And one of the gentlemen there was a big Gundam builder, big sci-fi. But, you know, he had a conversation with me and he was talking about, you know, I, I love sci-fi. I love all this. But, you know, I'm thinking about jumping into armor and it's like, just buy it to me a kid. Just go there. That's where you want to start. And so you hit the nail on the head where, you know, they're, they might be your competitor, but they're also complementary in a, in a case uh, in, in terms of that subject matter diversity and bringing, you know, crossing the barriers between, you know, historical and fictional, um, fictional stuff. So that's, that's really cool to hear that insight. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're, we kind of work in conjunction without like physically like shaking hands and going, Hey, you do this, <laughs> you do that. No, it's, it, it all works together. Um, 
you know, the success of one helps the success of another. For sure. For sure. I, I'm going to ask one more thing uh, and then I'll, I swear I'll be quiet because I've talked a lot. Um, one of our listeners posted um, Stephen Reed. When is Tamiya going to revisit the T-34 and 35th scale? You know, it is a ubiquitous subject. If there's something that we can lobby on the line right now, we would like to put in five votes. I'm going to speak for my co-host. They don't get a choice. Um, <laughs> we want to lobby for a T-34 or 35th scale. And, you know, an interesting point. So you guys have probably noticed that sometimes we'll do – we'll revisit a kit. It's like, well, mm-hmm. to me, it already makes that kit. Why would they do it again? Mm-hmm. Oh, but we've learned some stuff since then. Mm-hmm. We have have new data since then. Um, we've learned some new tricks since then. Mm-hmm. So – uh, Mr. Tamiya likes, if he's going to redo it, he wants it to be the definitive kit. It's like, okay, I'm going to redo that, but it's going to be the definitive kit. Mm-hmm. So in respect to the T34, I think, sure, we should revisit it. So um, that may happen. We'll see. There, there you go, Stephen. <laughs> you heard it here first on the plastic posse. Yeah. You, Outstanding. You know, and there's a lot of kits like that that we've, gotten you know requests for it's like yeah you guys make it but you know that molds 20 30 years old so yeah yeah, we've done that i'm trying to think of an example um kit have we redone well the the, i guess the panzer four uh Hmm. early models right is, yeah. is one of them where you, you know, you had the old and then you just released the Alice D. I don't think the old one was Alice D, but it was close. It, I mean, it was a Panzer gray, very similar short barrel, right. short barreled one. And yeah, the, you know, um, the Spitfire. Yeah. yeah. The Spitfire. Yeah, the Spitfire. There you go. Great example. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, there's always room for improvement mm-hmm. and then certain technologies open themselves up. Had George yeah. just put M10. Oh yeah. The M10. That's, yeah. That's, 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 a, that's a perfect example. Um, and, and the Yog Tiger. Now that I'm thinking of them, so yeah. Now, now they're starting to come in. <laughs> starting to all pop in now. Yeah. Um, the Panther. Yeah. I mean, just yeah. Yeah, and sometimes, like for example, Mister Tamiya. The last time I was in Japan, I was in his office, and I forget which plane we were talking about. Oh, the F14 in 48 scale, <laughs> and he was sharing with me. He says the reason why we we've, we've done it now instead of then is because we now have the technology to do the right. Um, I know I'm going to get this wrong and George is going to kill me. The uh, surface of the wing has a certain angle compared to the bottom. Uh, and okay. so I guess based on the way we were doing molds before it would have been too thick. You wouldn't have had the right um, uh, escape, words escapes me. Like the dihedral or the there you go. the right dihedral angle. Okay. So he says, now we can mold the plastic so thin we can do it right. Yeah. Had they done it back then, they said it would have been wrong and we would have been blasted for it. So sometimes we up the game in the mold technology and, uh, and how it's shot into the mold and or how the mold is cut to where we can, oh, we can now do that. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people will ask us, well, how come you don't do this? It's like, well, if we were to do it, it wouldn't be right. Right. So, engineering so, constraints. Yeah. So they'll wait till they figure out the engineering constraints to do certain subjects. 
That's cool. So we have uh, another podcast that we're good friends with, and uh, one of the one of their hosts is a huge one seventy second scale aircraft builder. So how how does seventy second scale um, aircraft? How does that do for you here in the U.S. as opposed to your forty eight or thirty second scale kits? Of the three scales, forty eighth by far is the most popular. Seventy um, second scale. I mean, I don't think we've had a new release in that in a while. So, um, yeah, I would say 48 by far. It's, the 109, the 109 G6 probably was one of your more, and the, and the spit, right? Is that, is, or no, the spit was 48, sorry. Well, the spit was 48. Yeah. But the 109 was the 72nd scale ones, one of your more recent. Yeah, yeah more recent. Yeah, it's a gorgeous little kit. Yeah. Absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, the IL2 and the, the zero, yeah, the IL, yeah. Now those 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 been it's been a few years since those have been out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's um one thing I wanted to ask because um going around scale model world in England, you, it's it's nice to get the understanding of what a lot of the the English and European uh, model consumers would like. A lot of them do say we want to see like a 132 P47. That'd be amazing to see, or a 132 Hawker Hurricane. Obviously, it would be really popular over here. But then you always get some morons saying they want like a 139 scale furry <laughs> flip-flop. Um, what's the weirdest request you've ever had from us? <laughs> oh, my God. The weirdest That's a good request. question. I mean, I've had guys say we want a, you know, 30-second scale, you know, UFO. I'm like, UFO, <laughs> what? <laughs> you know, um, I can't think of real life subjects i can't think of the weirdest thing i'm sure it's on the top of george's head because you know he sees some stuff push for a tsr2 that that is that is unique subject it's it's an awesome subject but would it sell yeah and sometimes people ask for a subject in a certain scale and you're like do you realize how big that would be yeah yeah it's i don't know if anybody saw andy's uh uh, recent the video wank? from yeah, oh the my Lancaster. god yeah it's like that thing is ginormous <laughs> now if we were to do, do, do that kit in that scale can you imagine how much that thing would be thousand dollars probably <laughs> so i'm gonna it. i'm gonna request an f6f hellcat you've already got the engine tooled up the pratt and whitney 2800 so you've already got that done so you're down the road already how about yeah. a hellcat well, I, I wouldn't be surprised if you see another variant. So, and that's one of the things Tamiya does. And, and I'm sure you guys have already figured this out when you guys open Tamiya kits. Like, hey, what's this extra sprue? You're not going to use this part. <laughs> you know, so it gives you a clue as to what potentially may come down the pipe. And sometimes they'll never pursue it. Mm hmm. Oh, there you go. George has the answer for you. There you go. <laughs> so we've yeah. got we've got Jet here who wants you to build some American muscle cars, some Mustangs and GTOs. What do you think about that? Actually, uh, that is like usually every year around this time, uh, we give our wish list to Japan and. Muscle cars are always on there, always on there. Yeah. So, Jet, fear not. 
it we're, we're always <laughs> asking lobbying yeah. yeah i mean it's i mean i'm my dad had a 1972 boss mustang mach one you know that and he built that kit i think it was a revell model when i i can remember when i was like maybe four or five i remember him building it you know if we were to do one of those i'd be like super happy you know and i know it would sell well yeah we we know american muscle would sell well the drawback would be would the american muscle car modeling community accept it's gonna be more yeah it's not gonna be a 15 dollar kit it's not gonna yeah. be a 20 dollar kit it's gonna be a 60 dollar kit now you do you do make a modern mustang gt i've actually mm -hmm. got that kids you know, obviously a beautiful model, but yeah, you do a modern Mustang at least. And guess what? It is one of our top sellers. That in the Ford uh, GT. Yeah, nice. the, the two Ford products that in, in 24 scale that we make are absolute top sellers. Daniel asks a good question here. Um, you know, re-release the 132nd scale uh, Thunderbirds kit. You know, there are some of your kits like uh, the 135th scale Hetzer is one example where, um, you know, most of your kits are usually in stock and you can find them, but some of them do seem to go out of production. Why is that? Um, it can be due to just making room for um, turning molds around. So they'll they'll take something out of production. It's like okay, you know, right now sales on that is is slow. So we're gonna put those molds away for a while, and so we can bring out other releases that we haven't had for a, a, a while. I know the M3 half track would be a really popular re-release. Oh, that would that would yeah. go sell bonkers. We, we need one of those back in the market. Yeah, that's that's a great that's a great point, Ivan. I think one of the things too, Scott, going back to your comment. And maybe Fred, you can add some light to this. You know, going to Japan, going into the Tamiya store, you can see a lot of these kits that we don't necessarily get in America. Is is that the case where the Tamiya market maybe has that catalog of kits where the USA market doesn't have them all? Is there a slight difference in product that comes over here? I guess from the older collection, that is not the new stuff. Well, I mean, they make uh, Tamiya. Our headquarters makes everything available that's currently in their you know yeah. inventory. Uh, sometimes you'll see stuff in Japanese hobby stores yeah. that they've had there for a while, <laughs> forever. I mean, like, like George and I, I think the, one of the last times we went to Japan together, we were in one of the stores in Shizuoka, and we're like, oh, "This kid hasn't been around <laughs> for, <laughs> forever." And then the last, you know, our counterparts. In headquarters, and I go, hey, can we still get this? And they're like, no. That's so, funny. but but it's interesting. It's like, but if somebody wants it, this character here has it. But he's yeah. also asking top dollar. Yeah, you yeah. know, like I saw a lot of cars at this particular hobby store in Shizuoka. We're like, man, I haven't seen that thing in a long time, and I can't get my hands on it. You know, through our distribution channels. And sure enough, it's like, wait a minute, this store's got one. Yeah. You know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to leave my co-host here in a minute and run downstairs and grab a really old Tamiya kit to show you. Okay. Um, so I'm, I'm going to turn over to Scott. You're going to, you're going to lead for a little bit. I'm going to grab something to do a little show and tell. Yeah. I think um, one of our listeners asked you, um, Fred, a little bit earlier, you know, besides uh, 
Tamiya kits. Are there any other kits that you like to build? Maybe lines that Tamiya doesn't necessarily delve into? Yeah. So uh, up until recently, I had a very um, esoteric sci-fi collection. I, I'm a huge sci-fi um, fan. Um, love building sci-fi models. Um, I had a lot of I had a lot of the Halcyon uh, alien oh, yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know if you guys know the brand Argonauts. Yeah. Uh, Argonauts made a lot of uh, um, Terminator, Predator, uh, Robocop stuff. I had I had all of that stuff until recently. So, yeah, that's, I like to build that stuff. That's interesting. And then you mentioned earlier that you were, um, you know, into remote control. You still do that? You still uh, messing around with that side of the fence of the hobby as well? Yeah. I mean, to me... I race. I like racing RC cars. I'm a, I'm a huge race fan. Um, real racing. I go to real race events. Um, and racing RC cars is one of my hobbies. Um, like I said, I'm kind of weird. I like I can build a model over here, and then next weekend I can go RC car racing. To me, it's just modeling. And um, yeah, I still partake in that. Um, we have a local track just 30 minutes away. Um, so yeah, and I might I try to make my cars like. You know, I'm going to race my Mustang. I'm going to race for GT. So, yeah, That's, I partake taking that. And I like the Star Wars stuff. And you guys all know who makes yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> That's Brand X, I believe, right? So. Brand X. I mean, and- <laughs> Ivan, what do you want to ask, Fred? What's your, uh, to me, a question you've been dying to ask? Yeah, right. There's a question I wanted to ask, but... It, it was kind of mentioned before. If if there's a Tamiya logo on the box or on the product, it's going to sell really well. It doesn't require, I don't want to say much marketing to push it because it knows it's going to sell well. But has there ever been a product in the 25 years you've been there that you've thought this is going to take a little bit more elbow grease to to push to the market? Because a kit is always going to do really well. But has there ever been a product where it's like, mm, this one's going to take a little bit extra? uh our lacquer paints really yeah uh our lacquer paints just because it has the logo here's the thing with with paints people don't like change Mm. (laughs) that's that's what i've learned it's like stan spooner is is one of is a perfect example when i said hey we're coming out with our our lacquer paints he's like yeah i don't want to have to get all new paints (laughs) so i don't know about you guys you guys can tell me but it seems to me, and I'm not this way, but it seems to me like a lot of my modeling friends, like once they're fixated on a certain type of paint, they don't want to branch off. So to answer your question, uh, the lacquer paints has been one of those things that's like, hmm, I got to, you know, put this in the face of more people. I gave a bunch of to, to Andy from uh, Andy's Hobby Headquarters. Mm-hmm. He... It did a, this really great video. There, there it is. Um, so we gave it to the modeling magazines. Um, so yeah, that required some, you know, and and it's starting to like, it, it was a slow ramp up. Like yeah. usually, like you were saying, it's like boom. Uh, with the lacquer paints, it was like eh, now we're going. That surprises me. Yeah, I yeah. think in the UK, you guys took to the lacquer paints a lot quicker mm, yeah from what i noticed 
I think See, that's sorry to interrupt. John. Uh, I think no, uh, Spencer Pollard has a lot to do with that because he, he got them quite early as soon as they were released. He used to run a lot of builds, and we all know how popular Spencer is on the internet. So, right, Spencer uses it. It's like, oh, I'm going to get some of them, and then it's it just went from well, there. They are very nice paints. I'll yeah. let these guys kind of speak, uh, Fred. But I think part of the problem for me in in sort of picking up the lacquer paints has been. Until about maybe the last two or three months, it's been really hard in the Western United States to get any of these. I know in Canada, it seems like the modelers had them, but, um, you know, maybe it was the retailers that were a little bit resistant uh, because it was really hard to find them. Yeah, I mean, and a lot of that was our process, in case you guys don't know, um, the labeling requirements for the U.S. is very different from other countries. So we have our paints tested here so that, you know, we know how to label them for the U S market. And then I actually am the one that takes that information as far as like once our um, product specialist at the uh, office says, okay, here's the testing data. This is, it's got to say this, it's got to say this and say this, you got to make it fit into the label. Okay. So as a marketing guy, I also uh, do some design work. I create the label and it's like, okay, you got to make that fit. We get that, those files to Japan and then they produce a U.S. specific version that has our label. And, and that process, unfortunately for the lacquer paints, took a long time. Um, it's just sometimes the process doesn't take that long. Sometimes the process takes a while. Um, so, yeah. But now yeah. I think we're almost caught up to almost having the whole line. Nice. So I ran away to grab a couple oldies here. So we're going to do a little show and tell. Um, this one. Ooh. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Saladin. So this is this is an oldie. Uh, let me open it up and we'll – I mean, we're talking – we even got the motor in this guy. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> so she she's an oldie. Um, you can see it's uh, – yeah. Crisp detail still. I'm, wow. I'm actually thinking about building this. Um, we got our vinyl tires on our lovely big sprue, and those things haven't deteriorated. No, and they they're not oily. They're they're very. I mean, they're very nice actually. Wow. Uh, in terms of you know uh, structural, you know, just still being together after 30 years. Got a little uh, motor here. So, or sorry, that's the gearbox, but. Yeah, I thought I'd just show this. And, and you know what? While I have this up, one of the things you, for the motor – Fred, one of the things I always heard growing up was Tamiya put motors in their kits because it was easier to import them to the United States because they were considered a toy. Is is that true? Do you know the story behind that? Mm, never heard that. Okay. Um, I was just curious. Yeah. I mean I could see – the opposite word, maybe they thought if we include a motor, it'll be considered a toy, therefore more attractive yeah. to the to maybe a young adolescent. It's like, oh, well, when I'm done with this thing, I can make it move. Mm-hmm. I, I would think that would probably be more true is, yeah. you know, if we include a motor, it's more attractive. Yeah. Oh, so also, I- George, uh, back to Scott's question uh, or to, uh, sorry, Ivan's question. Airbrushes. That's another one that's is mm. a tough sell, tough marketing sell. Yeah. 
Now, are your airbrushes, do, I mean, are you working with a partner? Do you actually make those yourself? Or Yes, Tamiya molds them that, that themselves. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> no, um, no, we, we work with a partner. Okay. So just so you guys know, Tamiya's technology is plastic molding. That, that's what we do. We that's all you do. To, okay. That's all we do. So we will work with uh, premium OEM suppliers. So, mm -hmm. for example, the screws that come in our RC kits. Well, they'll work with a Japanese vendor who makes the best screws that go with our kits. Mm -hmm. um, airbrushes. Oh, it's no secret. A lot of our airbrushes are the same thing as the Iwata version. So Iwata is, is one of our OEM suppliers um sparmax is another one so mm -hmm. i think that's just the only two um oh thanks you i can always rely on george on the chat <laughs> bb rich is another one so bb rich sparmax and iwata have historically supplied us with oem airbrushes and it's usually like the ones that our designers go that's the version that we want with our name on it or that's the version that we want so yeah. Nice. Well, I'm gonna show this. I have the old Centurion. Oh yeah, I remember that one. So and then we still have the classic uh hull with the batteries <laughs> locations. <laughs> we got another little engine here. I think it's this probably the same, and then uh, another gearbox. But the last kit I'm gonna show, and it's it's really I, I I'll be honest, I don't think I've ever seen another one. Um and this is the hunting tiger. Ooh. Oh, that's old. So, and then here's the unique thing. It's, they did a rebox to me of like a non Panzer gray, but when you open this up, it has color plates and it has these unique like labels on everything. Um, so again, it's another oldie, but a goodie. Uh, and I've never seen a Tamiya kit with these kind of packaging before. The one thing that stuck again out to me was the color plates. And uh, yeah, this one, this one has the same, mo a little different motor, but again, uh, another, another classic. Ooh, we might even have tube glue in here. We do. We have your Tamiya branded tube glue. <laughs> so, Is that, that was got to be hard as a rock. Uh, you know what? Yeah, it's kind of hard. So <laughs> I don't, I surely don't want to use it. Um, and then in addition to the, the sprue itself, they actually have a separate, um, you know, sprue or the instructions itself, I should say. They have this sprue, uh, sprue chart. So anyway, I thought I'd share that. I don't know if you'd ever seen one like No, I have never seen that. No, that's, that's a, that's a treat. If you ever so. start a museum, I'll gladly donate. <laughs> We're getting a lot of questions about Tamiya swag, yeah. uh, shirts and sweatshirts and, and things like that. You know, we, we get a lot of requests for that. Um, that's something that we can definitely do. Um, I have internal sweatshirts that we use for, like, giveaways and prizes. But if, if you guys want that stuff for sale on our, on our website, we can definitely um, start doing that again. So if you guys are, will probably wear a hoodie that has a Tamiya logo on it, I will make it. I, I got I got one on right now. <laughs> <laughs> so you you bring that up. It's interesting you say that because I when I went to Japan, that was the one thing I always bought was the Tamiya gear. I have a you know another dry fit shirt, an apron. So yeah. 
I think they would do well. Now, granted, I'm very biased because I like them um, and I'm only one person in a major market. But, um, you know, <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. Worth a shot, I feel. Yeah, Fred, what JB's not telling you is he had some uh, Tamiya monogram swim trunks made. And uh, <laughs> we, we don't want those to be made. So we're good. We're, well, we're I'm good. not going to tell anybody, but I'm wearing Tamiya boxers. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I'm sure they fit great. Yes. We need lounge trousers. <laughs> That's right, lounge trousers. Well, yeah. uh, D- Doug, you've been pretty quiet. What uh, to me a question is burning in your mind for Fred? I, I'm curious about the uh, going back to paint. Um, mm-hmm. Explain to us the the thought process behind. Um, the paint line and in the instructions for most of the kits, you'll call out formulas for your paints instead of you don't, you don't actually have that paint itself. The, the, like, for instance, I just built the, the Tamiya Spitfire and for the, the, the two colors on the, on the upper part of the plane, the green and the Brown, it calls out a, a mixture, five parts of this Tamiya paint to one part of that. So I'm just curious um, as to why that, why to me doesn't just market that. Is it a cost thing or, uh, or, just or make curious. that specific paint? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because making a specific color, they basically do the research like how many models that we make are going to actually use that color. So I'll give you an example. Um, whoa, let me turn that off. Um, as an example, a lot of our car kits from the eighties and early nineties would call out a mixture of silver and gold and I forget what other color to basically give you a titanium color. And it took them maybe 20 years of calling out that mixture before they finally said, you know, we make, we should probably make that paint. And now you can buy that titanium uh, color as a, as a standalone bottle. So in, in to answer your question, they probably haven't determined that the color that called out for that kit is going to be used a lot in future kits. But gotcha. if it does, then they'll, they'll finally say, okay, you know what? Now it's time to finally make that color. Right. So the, 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 the bottom of the plane is sky, and, and that was a to me a color. The other two, honestly, following the formula, they look fantastic. So I don't have any complaints. I'm just curious as to to why they didn't they haven't gone that route, and that makes perfect sense. Yeah, they don't they don't see that so far they have enough of the product that's going to call it that color, right? Because didn't they do the they didn't sorry didn't they do that when the 32nd Mark Nine Spit came out? Because then they released three RAF paints: the Ocean Gray, Dark Green, well, Ocean Gray Two, Dark Green Two. I don't yeah. know if they released at the same time, but they were very specific for that aircraft. Yeah, they did. And in some, yeah. like, for example, we've had car releases where, um, what was the Porsche? It was a cobalt green. It's like, well, we don't make a cobalt green. Oh my God. <laughs> we announced the kit. Now we announced that paint too. So the, the designer is very confident. People are going to want that color and we don't know how to mix it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, that goes for your like German two color set, the dark yellow, the green, the brown. I I thought that was great. That came out about probably two or three years ago. But again, sell them like hotcakes because it's a little bit different. 
than the traditional Tamiya colors. And I, and I think it represents German armor at the later stages of war a little bit better. It was a very popular uh, item amongst us treadheads. Yeah. So John Marley wants you to make beer. Uh, call it War <laughs> Floyds. There's a company, I don't know if you know this, there's a company in the eastern U.S. called Three Floyds, and they're marketing uh, beer in a container that has a logo that looks suspiciously like yours. <laughs> I, but, I've but seen that. Beer. Yeah. I've seen, I forget who pointed it out to me, and they're like, hey, Fred, you guys need to sue these guys. I'm like, uh, beer, <laughs> I don't know. It's not like they're making Camille bottle beer kind of oh. looks like our logo but yeah <laughs> they probably just want you to settle out of court you know yeah <laughs> you know a, a previous uh, uh viewer mentioned making more uh figures yeah so i'll give you guys a little background as to our figures um I, you guys have probably noticed that a lot of our figures are a lot better than they mm -hmm. were maybe oh, yeah. five years ago um to me, as molds for making figures has gotten a lot better. And then we're using 3D scanning to give us the, the base. So fun fact, yours truly is on the Stuart. I'm the Stuart figure. Oh, I've yeah. painted him. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, about three years ago, four years ago, I was at the Shizuoka Hobby Show. And myself and the sales supervisor at the time, uh, uh, one of the designers says, Fred, come here. I'm like, what? I'm about to go into a meeting. He goes, no, no, no. This will only take like 10 minutes. I go, okay. So myself and the sales supervisor uh, are going, going to this conference room, and they had like this scanner. And they're like, okay, sit still. We're going to scan your face. I'm like, <laughs> for what? He goes, we're going to use you as a figure, possibly. So I'm like, Okay. So they scanned me and they scanned our sales supervisor. And the first kit to use my face was the steward. That's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. And they'll scan different people. They'll scan guys from the UK, you know, yep. you know, guys from the Hobby Company Unlimited, um, guys from the German agents. So it's like, oh my God, this is pretty funny. Yeah, I one of my one of the modelers I know, he's from Germany. He was scanned, and I think he's in the WESP kit. Um, okay. But it's it's just that's really cool. That's like that's like what we all want. You're you're immortalized. I've been immortalized. Ivan's painted, Ivan's painted you. You're <laughs> in my cupboard. <laughs> I actually had Mr. Tamiya sign. I got that kit, and he was visiting the U.S. I was like, "Oh, Mr. Tamiya, can you sign this?" He goes, "Really? You're gonna put it on eBay?" I go, "No, I'm not gonna put it on eBay. It's for me." <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Looks like we've got requests. Uh, somebody wants 135th scale figures of Ivan. <laughs> no, no, you don't. <laughs> that that, that would be a lot of plastic. And in your <laughs> in your lounge trousers. Yeah. I, uh, I I do have another question. Sure. Um, and it's it's about your 148 kits. I I built up quite a few of the old ones that had the diecast metal hull. Okay. That was really cool. But why do the modern ones have added weight? It never made sense to me. Okay, so when the 48-scale line was first introduced, there was the thinking – well, not the thinking. Die-cast models were starting to really gain popularity. 
Like yeah, I would go to the Nuremberg Toy Fair and it's like, oh my goodness, there's mm -hmm. so many die cast companies. And they were making a lot of duplicate stuff. So I think a lot of the designers were starting to ask internally, well, why is die cast so popular? And some, I think some of the feedback they got, it's like, well, because it kind of has a weighty feel. And if it's got a weighty feel, it feels like you're getting more. So I think that's where we had the idea. It's like, well, you know what? We're going to introduce this new 48 scale line. It's a smaller thing. If we make the whole die cast, it'll give the modeler a sense of like added value. Um, and I, that was from what I remember the reasoning behind that. Um, so the problem with that is, and I remember I, I it's back here when, in my closet, I built a Yag Panther and I thought, Oh, this is really cool. It goes together well. And it's got just as much detail as the 35th scale version. But I, as a modeler, I was like, ah, <laughs> the metal hole, it's like, it's just too basic, you know? So after many years, the designers finally conceded, all right, we, we need to make a plastic hole so you get all the detail that you would like a 35th scale kit. But they still wanted to have that weighty feel. So that's why you have the weights. That makes sense. I Because I heard that the weights were for scale weight and i just said that can't no, be right. no, no, that no, cannot no. be correct <laughs> no it's not correct no. and then and then okay so you know you have rivet counters you're gonna have what weight weenies <laughs> <laughs> i can see it now at a, at a show it's like get the scales no, out this is not this 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 panther does not weigh this it weighs more it's wrong i can see it now I got. I got to ask a question concerning rivet counters now. I mean, I hope you don't take them seriously. Oh, hold on. <laughs> well, that's what's fun about going to IPMS. That's really, really like you hear it. Like you know, you guys got it wrong. Oh, really? Okay. Well, do tell. It's like this. You know, wing on the P thirty eight's got. 37 rivets going over here through this dihedral. And like, have you seen the plane? Do you know that maybe when they were being built, you know, they weren't built by robots. They were built by humans. Maybe that one that we measured had one more rivet in it. Possibly. So no, we don't take, I mean, we take them seriously because of course. sometimes people will, some people have, have called us out on mm -hmm. something that's wrong and we'll go, Ooh, yeah, you know what? They're kind of right. The glosser, the glosser meteor anybody hmm. remember that one yeah they did a two-pack with the v1 as well i think yeah. well there's a reason why that one was wrong the one we looked at we didn't know was a reconstruction of two different versions uh, <laughs> and it's like duh, we, we didn't know that so when we found out the correction came out like that yeah yeah so, um, but you know, believe it or not, the RC car guys are, have become just as bad. As Interesting. As, yeah. Because the, in, in radio control right now, scale is in like oh. the more scale you make an RC car, the better. And if we get something that's not right, those guys will be like, you know what? No, that car doesn't have independent suspension in the front. It's got a solid <laughs> axle. 
and it's like, <laughs> oh my god, you guys are just as bad as the butlers. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. So TJ, what uh, to me a question do you have burning uh, to ask Fred? I'm wholly unprepared, to be honest with you. <laughs> well, I, don't actually, I don't actually have one. I, I wanted to ask you, and I don't know if you can 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 answer because you know it might be like the uh, the secret sauce here. But one thing I've always admired about Tamiya kits from the first one I ever built, which, by the way, my first Tamiya kit was the old Merkava one uh, okay. kit. It just that just totally changed my thinking about scale modeling. But the quality of the plastic is always top notch. It's always that exact perfect blend of not too hard and brittle and not too soft and rubbery and, you know, kind of prone to warping. So, I mean, is that something you guys uh, sort of pay extra attention to? Um, Because it just seems like it's always perfect on your products. Yeah, absolutely. So, for example, um, it's me at headquarters. There's actually a room where where they have the pellets, and the pellets are clear. And it only takes, like, I don't know, maybe a dozen pellets of color to change the clear into the color. So to me, it does a lot of test shots. So they'll do a mold. Um, they'll mix the pellets and they'll do a test shot to see the, how the plastic comes out to see if they need to uh, adjust, you know, the mixture. Uh, and then also go back to the mold and see if they need to, uh, hand finish. And that's another thing I don't know if you guys know, but all our molds are hand finished. Oh. Yeah. So they'll they'll cut the mold with a CNC machine and they'll do a test shot and then they look at the test shot and they go, okay, we need to fix that. We need to fix this. And they don't go back into the machine and do that. A guy comes out with special tools and starts sending away. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. By by the time it gets in your guys's hand, that mold has been heavily massaged by these. Not, not mine personally, but, <laughs> but by somebody who knows. So yeah. I mean, in this era of CNC tooling and design, it's still that human craftsmanship Absolutely. that really kind of sets your products apart. Absolutely, and, and that's done in both the scale modeling. Uh, products and the radio control car kits and even our little mini four-wheel drive racers that those those molds are especially all the new molds are hand finished um you know that's why that adds to the length of the development time because mm-hmm. they can spend a month you know testing shooting testing shooting that's awesome that's- so I'm going to swing back on a topic that I don't know if we discussed, and I'm sorry if I was away for it, but the enamel paint line of Tamiya. That's another line that I, 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 I want to try, but they're, they're incredibly hard to find in the States. Yeah, we don't import here. them. That's what we I was going to say. I don't think they're here. No, right we don't import them. I mean, I know the savvy modeler can find a way to get them through, you know, um, overseas Asian markets, overseas markets. Yeah. But, yeah, we don't import them. Um, is is it is it along the same lines as kind of the lacquer line where you know there's regulations around the actual paint chemistry itself or is it more the market might not bear this new product well 
the I think the market would bear it, uh, but we don't offer all this, this the same amount of colors right. in the enamel. Like I don't think we've developed a new enamel color in a while. If this if memory okay. serves, um, it would require a different type of testing. Uh, it because it's an enamel based product, it the labeling would be different. So there would be a while before we could really bring them in. Yeah, no, I was just curious. And, and to be honest, I was probably going to use it for weathering anyway. And I think your panel liners and, you know, your weathering, uh, you know, solutions, the ancillary products, I think those have done very well for Tamiya. I certainly oh, yeah. have them uh, and they make it easy. And, yeah. and yeah, I think that was a great product move a couple of years ago. Yeah, and what's funny too is like people have been mixing their own for years. Like, you know, one of my modeling friends said, oh, just take Turpanoid and take, you know, um, Windsor Newton Black or, or you know, Amber and just mix it yourself. I was like, I hate doing that, mm-hmm. you know. But now but we were shocked. Like, oh, my God, you just make it for people. And, and we're not the only ones, you know. Other companies make their versions of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the beauty of it is it crosses over to other brands. You know, mm-hmm. all, all the Gundam guys, you know, love using it because it's like, oh, yeah. just build a kit and weather away. Yeah. And, and, and a, another example for that, my in-laws, they just got into hobby, you know, over the over the Christmas break because they were quarantined with us. So we went to Hobby Lobby, picked up a Gundam and then they're like, man, I want to weather it. I'm like, well, let's just, you know, use my Tamiya panel liner. This is very yeah. straightforward and simple. And boom, you know, what do they buy when they get back to Minneapolis? Tamiya panel liner. Yeah, yeah the so, panel line stuff has done really, really well. Yeah. And then the flesh color, too, is really good for figures. I saw that on display at the IPMS Nats. I think it was Chattanooga, maybe? Yeah, I think uh, that's when we first introduced it. Yeah, and it was it was another really cool product to make a somewhat tedious task more straightforward. So I, I, I just thought it was a really good move. Rick got a question here. You want to take it, Scott? Yeah, Rick Lawler wants to know, uh, you mentioned you scanning to capture assets, including yourself. Any plans to expand to 3D printing of products and accessories? Uh, I don't foresee that at the moment, but we do use 3D printing to do prototypes, but mostly in RC. So if the designers are like, oh, we need to test this new suspension arm geometry for this RC car. Uh, to make the mold would really, really expensive. So they'll 3D print it first and and then develop from there. But to offer products that way, maybe in the future, but I don't see any plans for it right now. Yeah, a few a few of the companies like Ryfield Models, they have a little, just a little kind of uh, accessory pack with it they've ex- started to explore. Yeah. I mean, some of the 3D stuff those. that's out there is just amazing. Yeah, <clears throat> for sure. Well, Fred, I wanted to talk about uh, before, you know, we're getting kind of uh, into the home stretch here, but I wanted to talk about uh, Tamiya and Tamiya USA's plans for 2022. Um, we've already kind of talked about the P38J and the M18 Hellcat, but uh, let's talk about some of the other new releases you have coming, uh, coming out in 2022. Yeah, so... Uh, speaking back to figures, we are coming out with, um, let me find it here. I want to make sure I get it right. A U.S. Infantry Scout set. Oh, cool. Yeah. So we announced that back in February 2nd. 
and uh, this infantry set is, um, you know, goes along with the German army set. Uh, we've got guys that with a short sleeve, we've got, um, the uniforms that they're wearing is from around the June, 1944 era. So yeah, there's a uh, five figures included. Um, and it was using all the 3d scanning technology that we're using now. And I believe these are due to come out in June, if I'm not mistaken. So there's those guys. Uh, for our car modelers, we're re-releasing the 112 scale Renault RE20 Turbo. And what makes this kit a little bit more special this time around is it's going to come with photo etch parts. And I believe the decals are produced by Cartograph. Nice. So, yeah. Uh, a lot of our car guys really love the Cartograph decals because they lay down a lot thinner than the decals that we produce in-house. So they like that. And we're also reissuing our 12-scale Nissan Fairlady 240ZG. I love that car. Yep, that's a very popular kit. Um, what else? Um, so that's pretty much it as far as the model, models go. But we are getting close to the... Um, time of year when the Shizuoka hobby show takes place that usually takes place in May. Mm -hmm. So new release announcements are being planned for that. So mm -hmm. expect to hear some fun releases there. Yeah. So I think you had a um, 48 scale challenger, right? As well. Yeah. Um, tank. Oh, they're speaking. The <laughs> yeah, there it is. <laughs> Yeah, yeah Challenger too, and then uh, you already uh, held up the uh, 148 scale, the new variant of the Tiger One. Yep. And then I stole George's uh, P38. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean that this thing should be. I'm expecting it'll do probably, hopefully, better than the well. The P38 FG just sold phenomenally. I mean that's it, yeah. it was our best selling kit uh, when it first came out continues to sell well um this should match it yeah and then uh you've got a uh, didn't you announce as well like a large scale remote control centurion i think yes we did our 16 scale uh tanks have been popular since we reintroduced them back in 2000 with the tiger one and since then every release seems to be uh very popular. Uh, I think our most popular kit in recent years has been the M1 Abrams. Oh, okay. Yeah. Pretty. All right. And then um, we, we, we sort of touched on it earlier. Um, there'll be a couple of people, it sounds like, from Tamiya USA at IPMS Nationals. Um, yes. Any other events that you've got locked down or that you're hoping to attend where uh, modelers can meet you guys and take a look at some of your products? Uh, for those of you guys who live in the Southern California area, um, we are partnering up with or sponsoring a local show. It's called Sprufest. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure you've heard Stan talk about it. It's yep. being put on by our, one of the local stores here, uh, Brookhurst Hobbies in Garden Grove. Um, we've been sponsoring that event for the last three or four years. Um, unfortunately, due to COVID, 
the last two years were kind of a bust. Um, you know, something about, you know, nobody wanting to get together. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that is supposed to be taking place. I believe the tentative date is April 30th. Awesome. So George and I will be there. Um, we'll have, you know, the kits that I showed you on display. Um, and that's always a fun contest. You know, if you're, if you're a local, you know, Southern California, uh, especially the LA Orange County area, even San Diego area. Um, it's a fun event. It's, it's cool. Everybody's very chill. Um, they use the, I think a hybrid amps, um, judging. Okay. Yeah. Which some people seem to like some people, I guess, want the IPMS way. (laughs) It's always fun to see like debates. It's like, well, how should you, how should you judge a contest? Yeah, that's a whole nother live stream. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like the Tamiya Conway. Yeah. Oh Mr. man. Mr. Tamiya would fly in, and he's like, I would sit there with a with a, a pad and paper, and he would go around and go that one, that one, that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that was, awesome. that was always a dream. I know JB feels the same way, but that was always a dream for me to get out to a TamiyaCon, but I missed it. So Someday, someday I hope to resurrect it. Um, you know, I, I think we're due. Um, it, it would just be different because it's not at our headquarters, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of fun things you can do by renting a convention center or yeah. uh, putting it on maybe like a, the Chino Air Museum or something like that uh, could be interesting, but I, I think it'd be a welcome return at some point. For sure. Yeah, Luftrom, uh, Chris Sieber's all for it as well. So, I see yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, uh, man, that that's incredible. Um, it's been awesome to hear kind of all about Tamiya USA and Tamiya products. Um, obviously, we're all big fans as consumers. I think you guys are doing an awful lot of terrific stuff, right? And uh, I, you know, I can't speak for anybody else, but I'm I'm really looking forward to getting my hands on that new KV2 and some of your new releases you've got coming out. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, this would be a lot of fun. And we just hope, cross our fingers, that you know these containers become more consistent. Yes, so. yes, exactly, yeah. exactly. All right, awesome. Well, uh, anybody else have any questions for Fred? Well, Fred, I just want to thank you again for taking the time to talk to us. Awesome insight into Mia, Tamiya USA. You know, product development. I, I think our listeners will definitely appreciate your insights that we really can't find anywhere else. So, uh, yeah. you know, just again, thank you so much for your time. Oh, you guys are welcome. Happy to do it. It was a lot of fun. And we hope to see your counterparts in Omaha because we will all be there. That's good to hear. Oh, is Ivan going? He is. Yes, he is. Interesting. (laughs) Are you bringing Marcus with you? Funnily enough, I spoke to him about this (laughs) other night. Um, He said he was going to try and stick a plane ticket on the company credit card. (laughs) Outstanding. Yeah, I, I can't remember. What, oh, yeah. <laughs> as I'm as I'm t- typing to his boss right now. <laughs> that one's not coming. Marcus, who? That's why I, I like poking fun at Marcus. He's fun. He is. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I'll, I'll give you. A fun, I'll give you a fun Marcus story if you guys want to hear it. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh yeah. We need dirt. <laughs> <laughs> 
one of the last times that I think I saw him in Shizuoka, he was paired with a different group of like Tamiya agents and myself and I think it was George, we were paired with a different group. And when we would go to dinner, we would go to like really cool Japanese restaurants and Marcus's group, for whatever reason, they kept taking him to like French, Italian, Chinese, anything but Japanese food. And he was so sad. <laughs> like he wanted to sneak away. He's like, you know what? You guys are going to the old Japanese foods. I want to eat Japanese food. I can eat French at home. <laughs> so uh, awesome. when is she? Are, are I assume you're going to Shizuoka as well this year? It depends. Right now, Japan still has restrictions on who can come into the country, meaning they don't want me there. They, oh, okay. they have a quarantine. They don't want any foreigners in the in the country. If, if is that going to change two months from now? Don't know. Um, so, if it does and it becomes an easy trip, then I typically would, would go. And it's been two years since I've been. Well, since yeah. the pandemic. So we'll see. It's uh, it's up in the air. Well, hopefully uh, the world cooperates and and it happens this year. And I know it's been a few years since you guys had that big 132 announcement. So we're looking forward to see, you know, that and other other new releases that you guys have planned. Fred, you've been a, a gentleman to spend so much time with us tonight. Thanks so much. Open seat here if you ever want it. And yeah, thank you. just really, really appreciate your time. And thanks to George for chatting along with us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> took a like, nap before this thing was going to start. I went. I actually went over because he and I live close to uh, to each other. So he had the Challenger at his house. So I'm like, he says, "Hey, if you want the Challenger, just come over." So I go over there, and he's like, "I got to take a nap before that thing starts." <laughs> nice. <laughs> Well, uh, thanks to all of you that have been watching on Facebook and YouTube. And uh, these videos will be up on Facebook and our YouTube page as well. So you guys can go back and uh, and uh, watch this again and again. Again, thank you, Fred, so much for joining us. It was a great time. Awesome. Thank you guys for thanks. having me. Really thank appreciate you. it. Thank, thank you. you. Take care, everybody. Have a great night. Good morning. Well, hey, all, thank you so much for listening. I know this is not your normal episode. We've pieced a few things together through different mediums. Uh, it was certainly a blast to get to talk to some of you at the show at the IPMS Commies here in Denver, Colorado. We certainly look forward to talking to you again online, uh, in person, and anywhere hobby and models can be found. So with that, I'm going to bid you adieu. Thank you for my illustrious co-hosts for being here tonight, Scott and Doug. We certainly missed Ivan, definitely missed TJ. So we certainly look forward to seeing them again with us in two weeks where we bring you another awesome episode. We might dive a little bit deeper into some of the entries that were at the show and talk about them because some of them really caught our eye and so did the builders. So with that, take care, stay happy, stay healthy, build more models and enjoy the hobby that we come to know and love. So with that, thank you so much. Have a great evening and we'll catch you in two weeks. Yeah.